exposing free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Friday, the 2nd of September, Year of Our Lord, 2022, day 902 of the emergency, the executive order, the medical martial law. And even though they're not issuing orders, they've kept the authority, and that's coming back. But today we're going to talk about the uh, California situation. I think California is ahead of us all. It's already 2030, close to, I guess we could say, uh, 2029 and California. Uh, we'll take a look at what is happening with that as well as the Civil War. You know, it's ongoing already. There's a lot of people say, well, I think it's going to happen. You know, two-thirds of people think it's going to happen. Hey, <laughs> you need to understand, it's already going on. And uh, Biden is bragging about it. We'll be right back. Stay with us. First of all, I want to thank uh, Tony for taking the show yesterday. He did a great job as usual. He had guard with him as well. Uh, Billy Ray Valentine, Don Jeffries, Kenzie, all of them. I appreciate uh, them coming on and giving me <clears throat> a day to uh, recover a bit. Uh, today, let's talk a little bit about what is happening before we get into uh, California. The Bank of America, which is really you know, originally California Bank, they merged with Nations Bank. Bank of America was in California. They merged with Nations Bank moved their headquarters to Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, kept the name Bank of America. At the time it happened, I remember very clearly because we were in North Carolina and Nations Bank was our bank and the two of them merged and uh, everybody was saying, uh, this is back in the 90s, about 10 years before <clears throat> we had the uh, meltdown, the financial meltdown, and everybody was saying, this isn't going to pass, this can't pass. You, you can't allow this kind of consolidation between two very large banks like this, you're going to wind up with a half dozen giant banks. And, um, but you had the Clinton administration go ahead and okay it because Erskine Bowles, who was active in North Carolina politics, he, he ran for several offices there. Fortunately, he lost every time. But he was in the, uh, the, the Clinton administration, had a key position in the White House, and he pushed it through. He was somebody who was involved in the banking business in California. Uh, so that incestuous situation began there. And, of course, uh, there were other things that were done in the Clinton administration, like removal of the Glass-Steagall Act, which prohibited speculative investments by banks because they were being given federal deposit insurance. You know, in the aftermath of the Great Depression, the crash, they said, well, we don't want to have banks out here investing in speculative stuff. So uh, what we're going to do is... Um, trying to make things uh, uh, more stable. Uh, we'll give people deposit insurance, and then we will <clears throat> um, require that the banks not be involved in this. Then they, now they've blurred the lines. And, of course, 
After all the mergers, they started creating the derivatives. And the rest, as they say, is history. Within 10 years, we had the, uh, after uh, all kinds of shenanigans and, uh, you know, the subprime mortgages, which were derivative types of uh, things, you know, just put all the mortgages into a, <laughs> into a fund and hit the blender. You know, you can't tell who's got what, right? The securitized mortgages, they turned them into kind of a derivative situation, created a tremendous mess. And then uh, we were told that certain banks were too big to fail. You know, the half dozen or so that they had foreseen were going to emerge from this. And for years, Drudge would have a, a link every year, hundreds or 200, you know, this year, small banks, mid mid-sized banks failed and on and on. And they eventually quit putting that up because there really weren't too many of them left anymore. But now we're back to some games that are happening. Bank of America has unveiled zero down payment, zero closing cost mortgages. <laughs> we're back to 2008. So, uh, yeah, but this is only going to be black and Hispanic communities. And when I first saw this, I thought it was only, the loans were only for black and Hispanic. I, I think this is for black and Hispanic neighborhoods, uh, which is really kind of a reverse of the red line situation. For years, they would uh, say, well, there are certain neighborhoods we don't, these neighborhoods, uh, the people are, the houses are not being taken care of. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of vandalism. There's a lot of poverty. So they're likely to default on these mortgages. And it's hard to get people to move into these communities. So we're not going to put money into that. And they said, well, you're discriminating because these are predominantly black or Hispanic or whatever. And it's like, well, they're bad neighborhoods uh, and we're not going to make any money out of it. And, um, and so they forced them to stop doing that. But now they're going to essentially do the opposite. We're going to you know, target those areas and subsidize it. It's not as bad, I guess, as if you went in and, they, and you said, uh, how much is the interest rate uh, for a mortgage? And say, well, what color is your skin? Right? But it's getting pretty close to that line, isn't it? You're talking about a red line? <laughs> talking about a red flag? Uh, they're going to do it on an experimental basis in Charlotte, where their headquarters are. Dallas, Detroit, L.A., Miami. And um, <clears throat> so, again, I don't know if, since they're saying this is for um, this is for neighborhoods, but they also say uh, Pfizer embraced an anti-white discrimination with their new Breakthrough Fellowship exclusively for minorities. I don't know if you are white, for example, and you wanted to buy a home for nothing down in those neighborhoods if you would uh, be allowed to, perhaps, I don't know. Details remain with that. Uh, nevertheless, this is another example, really, of ESG, environmental societal governance. Corporations doing what government wants them to do rather than doing what makes business sense, rather than treating people as individuals. They're going to look at the color of their skin, not the content of their character, uh, they're not going to look at the uh, content of the neighborhood or the house. I mean, you know, having uh, been through all this stuff just recently, the scrutiny uh, that happens when you uh, go through a mortgage. But they're just, you know, waive all this stuff, no down payment, no closing costs, no um, additional, you know, if you, if you borrow uh, more than 
you get the extra mortgage insurance tacked on there. Well, I'm not going to do that either. You know, it's just going to be, um, you know, uh, here you go. You can start, start the payments here and, uh, we'll just divide it by 360 each monthly payment. A lot of, a lot of money saved on that. You know, you look at when you do the closing and you buy a house, you know, for X number of dollars, you usually see that the amount you're going to pay over 30 years is like two to three times what you, uh, what the purchase price was typically. Anyway. Um, so, uh, Stephen Miller comments and says, big win Congress forced to repeal Biden's race-based USDA debt relief program after America first legal trounces lawless Biden in federal court. You see, they've tried this as well by saying, we're only going to give loans to black farmers. Uh, do you care when you eat food? Do, do you care whether or not the, uh, person who grew it is white or black? Uh, <laughs> we need to have food. <laughs> and so well, they're going to do this type of thing at the same time that they try to put farmers out of business because of nitrogen or CO2 or something else like that. Uh, this is insanity. Uh, and it is, um, you know, it is racist what we see. So I don't know because we've seen all these other programs from Pfizer, from uh, the government, anything, you know, actively discriminating racist policies. Uh, is this going to be what is happening with this Bank of America program? Or are they going to kind of skirt the issue with the neighborhoods? The reality is, is that this ESG stuff, uh, the societal things that they're doing, that's really about dividing us. And we're going to talk about civil war that's coming up. You know, people understand when they're being discriminated against, whether they're white or black. Uh, this is not the goal that Martin Luther King Jr. had to, you know, Look at people as individuals, regardless of the color of their skin. And uh, two wrongs don't make a right. It's just that simple. Uh, no minimum, no maximum loan amount either. <laughs> Nothing down, no interest rate, no minimum, no maximum, no mortgage insurance. I mean, it's, uh, this is going to be another um, one of these uh, prime the pump for things to go south. As a matter of fact, one person actually said that, uh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, maybe white people should thank them for being saved from 100% loan to value mortgages while interest rates are at decade highs and values are falling quickly. So uh, <laughs> maybe in a reverse way. So it, it may just be the, the neighborhoods, but uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this works out. We know how it's going to work out from a financial standpoint. Uh, because corporations, even banks, don't really care about making money anymore. It's just about virtue signaling. Whether it's about the environment or whether it's about LGBT or whether it's about race, it's just about virtue signaling. They don't care about anything else. And while I'm talking about banks, I want to say um, that a listener, Roy, who contacted me about, I, I talked about J.P. Morgan and how they were going to, how they, uh, one of the yachts, one of the Russian yachts that was confiscated and it was a 60 or 70 million dollar yacht and jp morgan had a mortgage on it and of course you know when the government comes in and steals your yacht uh or whatever it is uh, you're not going to keep up the payments right <laughs> it had to be a real sucker to do that um <clears throat> so uh it went into default 
And I said, well, look at that. So it goes into default. So they're going to sue. Are they going to keep this whole thing? Uh, because uh, we have seen that type of thing before. And uh, Roy pointed out, he said, uh, well, there's an ar article from CNN uh, where they are saying that J.P. Morgan has said they're not going to try to keep the whole thing. They just want their mortgage out, 20 to 21 million or something like that. So just give us that. And you can do whatever you want to with the rest of this stuff, which raises a question, you know, what, what is the bankruptcy court going to do with that once it goes into bankruptcy court? Who gets it? Does the government get it? And one of the reasons I, I said that was because, you know, when we have uh, civil asset forfeiture where they take somebody's home or somebody's car in the name of the war on drugs, typically, but it can be done by other bureaucracies for other reasons, but we've seen it most frequently in the war on drugs. When they steal your property, uh, it could be cash. It could be a plane. That was the first case that I saw was a plane. A guy was in the business of flying uh, people. He was a pilot. He did, um, you know, private charters. And he had a, a jet plane uh, for business executives. He flew two guys, uh, chartered his plane. They show up in suits with briefcases. He flies them from the U.S. to Canada and then back. And when he gets back to the U.S., the plane is encircled by DEA. They arrest the two guys, and then they steal his plane. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, we know you didn't know anything about this, uh, we, we, but your plane was used for this drug deal. And so we're charging the plane. And it was U.S. government versus Learjet serial number, blah, 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 was what it looked at, like. And uh, he had to fight them for like three or four years. And that, that was his income, you know. I, and he eventually won. But he was bankrupted by that action. And, and so we see this type of thing happening all the time. And um, uh, in this particular case, and we've also seen situations where the government will come in on a local level. I've reported this many, many times. It's happened. You've got an elderly person. Uh, maybe they had some issues, cognitive issues or whatever. They got behind in their uh, tax payment. And it was a minor amount. Maybe they're behind $100, and the local tax authority takes the entire house. And, uh, you know, they might be behind in $100, and they steal their $200,000 home, that type of thing. And uh, so we've seen this type of thing over and over again. <clears throat> It'll be interesting to see uh, which one of the thieves gets it. <laughs> is it going to be the banks, or is it going to be the, uh, the government? I suspect... And uh, thanks for pointing that out to me, Roy. I suspect that the bottom line is, is that, you know, uh, J.P. Morgan was just looking at this thing and saying, well, we know how these things happen. They're going to keep all of it. So at the very least, let's just do a lawsuit and try to get out what we have stuck in there and, um, you know, cut our losses and run <laughs> out of that thing. Uh, but when we're talking about what is happening with um, this Bank of America policy, uh, preferential treatment based on ethnicity and race. Starbucks uh, has now been sued over hiring people on the basis of their race and ethnicity. Uh, so again, you know, this is, um, who knows what will happen if, <clears throat> if Bank of America uh, discriminates against somebody. And I mean, you know, it was, Bank of America nearly caused uh, us to lose everything with our move. Uh, we were, uh, they had a, uh, 
program, they assured me that, you know, you don't have to be in business for two years if you can make a state, you know, make a case that you've been in this business prior to going on your own, which I had. I'd had three years of doing this. And, um, and then I had uh, one year experience of doing it on my own. And so they said, yeah, sure, that's a problem, no problem. And um, then, uh, then they said, after we got far along in the process, they said no. Then they said, uh, yes, again. Then they said no again, and all this, and uh, that was why everything got to be so hectic at the end of this whole process because we were running out of time, and the buyer was running out of patience with us as well as us trying to sell the house and it threw everything into. It. So you know when they look at our stuff like that with a fine tooth comb, but other people they say no money down, no insurance, no interest, no nothing. Come on in, you know it's it's, it's just fine. Uh, maybe there's a lawsuit. I'm not going to get involved in it, but I imagine somebody else who's been turned down because they looked at their life with a fine tooth comb, got out the white gloves and all the rest of this stuff and said, no, yeah, I don't think so. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, why won't the, uh, while we're talking about race, why won't the Biden administration join Gorsuch in seeking to overrule racist Supreme court precedents? Says reason magazine. What are the ones that they're talking about? Well, these actually are racist. You know, we see that term <clears throat> bandied around so much that it doesn't mean anything for the most part. But these actually are racist uh, laws that go back to the early 1900s. They're called the insular cases. They've been severely criticized both then and now for being the product of racist and imperialist thinking. Uh, legal scholar Walter Pratt, author of the insular cases, the role of the judiciary in American expansionism, described the legal arguments involved as largely racially motivated since the court effectively held that people of the new territories were unfit to become citizens. A similar criticism of the insular cases was recently voiced by Judge Gorsuch, who argued that the insular cases have no foundation in the Constitution and rest instead on racial stereotypes. They deserve no place in our law, he said. And, uh, Risa Magazine gave an example. They said, take, for example, uh, Door versus United States, 1904, which asked whether the constitutional right to trial by jury should exist in the Philippines, because these are some of the territories that U.S. was controlling at the time. The court said no and commented and said, quote, the uncivilized parts of the archipelago are wholly unfitted to exercise the right of trial by jury. <laughs> Sorry. You know, you're inferior. You don't get a right to trial by jury. Maybe that's why we've lost trial by jury. Because <laughs> the elitists look at all of us as being subhuman to them, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, I guess that's where we are right now. Of course, the other part of it is that um, they lie to the jury <laughs> and the judge will tell them, you're not here to judge the law. You're not here to judge what's going to happen to the people. You're here to just judge the facts of the case, and that's it. Well, that's not it, and that's a lie, because the most important part of the jury was nullification, nullification of bad laws, nullification of excessive penalties. The jury was uh, we, the people's power to nullify things that were unconstitutional, you know, every, every part of government has both the right and the duty to nullify laws. 
that are against the Constitution, that are against our uh, being created in the image of God and endowed with inalienable rights by God. And we, the people, are one of those. You know, you look at the Tenth Amendment, and it says, um, any powers that have not been delegated expressly to the federal government and the Constitution are reserved by the states and by the people. How do the people reserve those powers? Typically through jury nullification. And so um, that is the biggest issue. But you know, believe it or not, they actually denied trial by jury in the Philippines as part of this uh, group of cases simply because they thought the Filipinos were inferior people who could not exercise the right of trial by jury. In other words, it was racism and imperialism in the guise of a Supreme Court opinion. Uh, so Gorsuch said, the time has come to recognize that the insular cases rest on a rotten foundation. And I hope the day comes soon when the court squarely overrules them. But the Biden administration doesn't want to do so. Isn't that interesting? These people who see racist behind every rock, when you have something that is blatantly racist, and when they hate the uh, when they hate the history of America, oh, it's imperialist, it's colonialism, and all the rest of this stuff. When you find something that is actually racist, that is actually colo bad colonialism, yeah, because there were some good things from colonialism. You know, if you uh, uh, some of the civilization things that were brought in were actually good, but there were bad aspects, of course, to it. There is to anything. But these people who want to throw everything out don't want to attack this rotten foundation. The Justice Department under Biden apparently sees things differently. As the Washington Post's Robert Barnes, he's writing for the Washington Post now, surprised, uh, said <clears throat> the Biden administration told the Supreme Court Monday that it should not take up a case about citizenship rights for American Samoa, even though the advocates say that it would give justices a chance to upend a series of century-old precedents that have been roundly denounced as racist. Unsurprisingly, the Biden administration's stance has come under fire. Advocates were disappointed that the Solicitor General, Preliger, asked the high court not to take the case. It is shocking that the Biden-Harris administration and the Solicitor General continue to breathe life into the insular cases, which were grounded in a vision of white supremacy that has no place in our society. <clears throat> and so... When you actually have white supremacy, you actually have racism. <laughs> the Biden administration doesn't want to do anything to disturb it. What is their motivation? Well, you can speculate yourself. I, I See, I don't think they care about racism. And I don't think they care about white supremacy. They're just looking for ways to control people, and they're looking for ways to divide people. You see, it would be a unifying thing if they were to get rid of this. I mean, there's nobody on the other side of this that wants to keep these types of things in, except for the Biden administration. They're out there on their own to try to keep this stuff in there. Uh, they're not even going to be goring anybody if they were to get rid of these racist things. So why is it that they want that? I was just talking about jury nullification, but of course, state nullification is equally important. Alex Newman has an interesting article at The New American, how states can rein in federal spending. Now, this is very important. Pay attention to this. Because we have CBDC on the horizon. It's one of the things that really concerns me. 
And with CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, looming, and of course, um, <clears throat> Monday, Labor Day, if my calculations are correct, is 180 days after March the 9th when Biden put out his executive order telling all of the different agencies, I want to report and I want to uh, know what you're going to do. Every single government agency, I want to know what you're going to do to push central bank digital currency. I want it in 180 days. Well, that should be this coming Monday. Uh, interesting that they would, uh, perhaps they picked that day because it's a holiday. People aren't going to be paying any attention to it. I don't know. I'm hoping they can slip this thing in. But they're going to be unveiling it soon enough. And so what can we do to stop this? Right now, certainly we can do things on our own to try to escape this, but there's some things that can be done by states as well. And Alex Newman talks about this at the New American. He said nullification has been, it still is, effectively used to prevent the enforcement of unconstitutional federal laws and other actions. And how can, but how can states nullify federal spending? Federal spending. Opponents of nullification, including those calling for an Article Five convention. Uh, what Phyllis Schlafly called the con-con, because it is a giant con, the idea of a constitutional convention. This is another one of the things in which I have a big issue with Mark Levin. He is a big pusher of this. Oh, we got to have a constitutional convention in order to balance the budget. Well, these politicians who won't balance the budget are the same ones who are going to be writing the Constitution, Levin. And then what else are they going to do? Because you can't trust these people. I'm sorry, I don't see any Jeffersons or Madisons on the horizon uh, to uh, write a new constitution. So I, I'm a big no on all of that. Uh, I wouldn't be interested in Mark Levin rewriting the constitution either, let me tell you that. Uh, but nevertheless, um, pushing a so-called balanced budget amendment with all the loopholes, all the issues that, okay, we'll just rewrite the whole thing. Uh, they frequently claim that nullification is helpless to rein in the federal government's reckless spending. However, says Alex Newman, such claims are false. States can use nullification to stop unconstitutional federal spending, just as they can use it to stop other federal usurpations. There are at least two specific ways states can do this. One way is for the state legislatures to enact a State Sovereignty and Federal Tax Funds Act also referred to as an escrow law. Under this law, federal taxes would be first required to go into a special fund controlled by the state government. The state would then calculate the percentage of constitutional federal spending, meaning for purposes specifically enumerated in the Constitution for the federal government. Then the state would send only that percentage of the funds to the Internal Revenue Service. Depending on the specific bill versions introduced, the remaining funds would either go towards state expenditures currently reliant on federal funding, thus ensuring the state is financially independent, or they would be returned to the taxpayers. You see, it's always the money, isn't it? The money is how they get us to do what they want, which is why, you know, when, as I point out, when people want to excuse Trump, uh, it truly is about the money. Because he kept the money flowing, which implies consent. It doesn't just imply it. it, it he funded it. He produced 
everything that these people were doing as far as a lockdown goes and everything else, the mask regulations. If you don't like what Newsom is doing, if you don't like what Cuomo and Whitmer and Pritzker and all these rest, the rest of these people are, you just cut off the money to them. It's just that simple. The federal government does it all the time. Well, two can play that game, can't they? You know, states could do it as well. I don't approve of the spending that you were doing, so we're going to cut it off. Now, the problem I see is that um, uh, certainly if the states had the willpower to do that, they could protect individuals from <clears throat> they could protect individuals from uh, armed IRS agents because there's going to be a lot more of them now. You know, <laughs> uh, they could uh, use local law enforcement state law enforcement, say, you're going to leave the people here in this state alone. Problem is, there's so many different businesses that do business across state lines. And, and the real problem with the internal revenue system is that uh, prior to that enactment, there was, and, and this is the key thing too, a, a more productive thing would be for the states to challenge the, um, the legitimacy of the income tax law and its passage, which is what a lot of individual tax protesters have done. And they lose on that because they don't want to hear it. Yeah. It's like, uh, I have a question about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We're not going to hear that next question. It's just that way. When you go into tax court, that's why I'm not encouraging people to be a tax protester in court. Uh, Peter Schiff's father, Erwin Schiff was, uh, somebody who did that. And, um, you know, when I would see him at libertarian conventions, he'd be standing literally on a soapbox reading transcripts <clears throat> from his court case. <clears throat> and I'd listen to him for a while, and it's like, yeah, that's good, except that they didn't listen to any of that stuff, right? I mean, they don't even care what your legal arguments are. I knew other tax protesters as well. Uh, same thing, not going to get a hearing. And um, it reminded me of... Um, uh, Lenny Bruce, you know, Lenny Bruce is a comedian. He was censored and, they, you know, and he, he got to the point where he stopped doing his act and he would just get in front of the audiences and he would read from the court transcripts and everything that you, you're not going to get anywhere with that. So we have to think about how we could do this. And the idea that we're going to have the state government that is going to stand in the gap in the first place is a fantasy. You know, I'd like to believe that could happen, but it isn't going to happen. And, and then the, what would happen it would be the government, the uh, businesses, rather, in that particular state would come after the state because the, um, the federal government would use this against the individual businesses to say, oh, okay, well, we're going to block you, take you out of the financial system, seize your money or whatever, because you're not just doing business in this particular state. It's going to require something else, and, and he does touch on it. You know, it's going to require that um, – you're going to have to do something positive, not just nullify. He said state legislators are often reluctant to nullify unconstitutional federal laws as they fear losing their federal funding in retaliation because that's the way the federal government always does. Very quickly, retaliates by taking away money. That's why Trump approved of everything because he kept the money flowing and tens of billions to each of these governors. An escrow bill is one of the strongest responses to this threat and would remind the federal government of the proper limited place in the U.S. system of government. I think you need to attack the foundation. If the states want to do something, they need to attack the 
foundation of the income tax bill. Because prior to that, uh, it was always the money that the federal government got was sent to it by the states. It was an appropriation to the states, that type of thing. And then with the income tax, they directly taxed citizens instead of the tax flowing through the states. So before you could do anything about that, I think you would have to attack that foundation. Uh, this bill has been introduced in multiple states in previous years, including Georgia, Missouri, Ohio, Oklahoma, and Washington. However, no state has thus far enacted it into law. Another way that states can rein in unconstitutional federal spending is to nullify the Federal Reserve. Now we're talking about something important here uh, and, and possible. And I think uh, Ron Paul was right when he said we've got to uh, audit it because uh, once you audit it, can you imagine what a can of worms that would be and how people uh, would see what this is truly about? And if you shine the sunlight on it, then um, that's going to be the end of it. And so I think that was a perfect plan by Ron Paul. And it just goes to show you how protective these people are. Because they won't even allow it to be audited. Everybody look at this and say, well, sure, you ought to be able to audit it. We should have some transparency about what our government is doing, especially with this organization that is private but pretends that it's governmental. Can we have an audit of that because of the power that they have? No, the Biden administration, as we saw with Omarova, this full-on Marxist, wanted to give all power over the economy to this private organization, the Federal Reserve. Get rid of all the banking system that we have completely. And so uh, Alex Newman says, states can rein in the unconstitutional federal spending uh, another way, and that's to nullify the Federal Reserve, uh, which itself is unconstitutional, and its current monopoly on currency. The central bank's ability to create money has encouraged Congress to engage in reckless spending. See, that's the real thing. If you're serious about this, Levin and the rest of you people pushing this con-con, go after the Federal Reserve. Don't try to create a new constitution because that's what we're going to wind up with a convention. Uh, but they don't want to go after Federal Reserve, which tells you where they are, actually. Uh, states have already enacted legislation taking steps in this direction. Uh, for example, 42 states have abolished or curtailed sales taxes on precious metals, such as gold and silver, a major step toward treating them as money. The states that have not done so are Hawaii, Kentucky, Maine, Mississippi, New Jersey, New Mexico, Vermont, and Wisconsin. So unless you live in those states that I just mentioned, those eight states, you can buy gold and silver without sales tax. And by the way, you can buy it at davidknight.gold, which Tony, who did the show yesterday, uh, Tony has a wise wolf gold. Davidknight.gold just takes you to Tony and lets him know that you came through me. So um, again, unless you're in Hawaii, Kentucky, Maine, Mississippi, New Jersey, New Mexico, Vermont, and Wisconsin, unless you're in those states, you can buy gold and silver without a sales tax, which means that's the first step towards treating it as money. Meanwhile, three states, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming, have explicitly reaffirmed the validity of gold and silver as legal tender, further encouraging their use in competition with the Federal Reserve notes, which are nothing more than elastic fiat currency. And you know what happens when something's really elastic? It bounces. 
<laughs> Roll it up in a ball and it bounces. That's what this uh, these this fiat uh, stuff is going to do. Additionally, Texas has taken the step of creating a state precious metals depository, further reducing state dependence on the Fed. Tennessee has enacted legislation to study the creation of its own depository. So uh, if we cannot uh, get the states to do anything, I mean, ultimately, uh, you can take measures yourself by making sure that you have money that's outside the CBDC system. However, I think we should try to put pressure on some of the legislators who, if there's enough people who contact them, that's far more powerful than you think. Because I remember about 30 years ago in North Carolina, when homeschooling was still this extreme thing that only conspiracy theorists and radical Christians did, uh, that uh, the very politically connected and, and powerful teachers unions decided they were going to stamp it out in North Carolina. And so they got some Democrats to put up some bills and the legislature was controlled by Democrats, both houses. And, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the governorship was controlled by Democrats as well. So they, they completely controlled the government. And so they put this thing up. There's going to ban homeschooling and the call went out to the few homeschoolers that were out there and, uh, they got everybody to write a letter. And so uh, the state government just got inundated with letters. And, you know, of course, they're not going to read them all. They're, they're just measuring them by the pound. And they had a lot of pounds. So they got tons of letters. <laughs> and they backed off. And it's like, wow. First of all, give God the credit. Uh, because uh, he was making it available for people who wanted to actually step into their role as parents, guides, and mentors to their children instead of giving them over to the state. But uh, it was also uh, shows the, the fact that even against the most powerful government bureaucracy lobby, uh, a massive wave of letters can make a difference. And so never give up on that. Never be so cynical that you don't uh, get involved in that. Uh, as we're talking about money, Biden's IRS auditor army will disrupt economic recovery, says Zero Hedge. Actually, this is an article from Real Clear Politics. And they're exactly right. It will disrupt. It'll disrupt the economy. Who was it that said something about, oh, yeah, it was Fauci, October 2019, before any of this stuff happened. How do we get somebody to take a vaccine and do it worldwide? Uh, that hasn't been tested. You know, it typically takes a decade to get this stuff. And Fauci says, yeah, well, we uh, do it from the inside. We do it with disruption and we do it iteratively. Well, that's what they're going to do. And that's what they've been doing in terms of coming after small businesses. And began with Trump, the disruption of the lockdown from the inside, from the inside, from the man that you trust, a disruption. Gonna lock you down. No, you can't. Can't stay open. Uh, and then when you do open, uh, you can't have more than X amount of customers and so forth. And it's like, well, how do we stay in business when you say we can only have twenty percent occupancy? We got to have a hundred percent occupancy on Fridays and Saturdays if we're a restaurant in order to stay in business. No, you can't do that. So you do it with disruption. You do it from the inside, and you do it iteratively. This is just the next step for those businesses who are able to shoulder through 
Well, now we have massive utility bills that are putting people out of business in Europe that'll be doing the same thing here. And uh, we can also now in the United States, uh, we can put out an army of IRS auditors. And again, I still think that the army of the auditors is going to be focused a great deal on crypto. Uh, we just had a guy who is a very notable uh, crypto person who um, they came after and they always do this with celebrities, usually around uh, tax time, April the 15th. But uh, they came after this guy um, and um, $25 million saying it was fraudulent. I think you're going to see a lot of these things. I think that's a harbinger of what is to come with this army of IRS agents. Uh, they've been sending these signals very explicitly about what they intend to do. They don't want people having any alternative to their CBDC. That's why we have to get involved at the state and local level, and we have to have our own money that we actually possess. Anyway, with the looming threat of a veritable army of auditors being mobilized by the Biden administration, it is highly likely that many small businesses will decline to seek the benefits of credits and deductions, lest they face the costly headache of aggressive audits from the IRS. In fact, uh, says the author, my firm, Engineered Tax Services specializes in working with businesses to understand and to utilize those credits and those deductions. And some of my firm's small business clients have told me this is the case. Said, I, you know, I don't even want to take the deductions. I'd rather pay the tax than to go through an audit. Uh, business and financial experts are equally certain that Biden's auditor army will target small businesses. There's no doubt that boosting IRS audit capabilities through a vast increase in the hiring of 87,000 new staff focused on this effort will hit small businesses the hardest, said the president CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurial Council. Uh, the tax data shows that it is small businesses of moderate means, not the wealthy, that are targeted the most frequently. A July survey by the Small Business Network, uh, Alignable, found that 45% of small businesses are halting their hiring largely because they can't afford to add staff. This is just a continuation of what began with a lockdown. The war on the middle class, the war on Main Street America, conducted by Trump and the surrogates that he had, Democrats and Republican governors that he was giving tens of billions of dollars to personally, personally. It didn't have to flow through the legislature. It went to the governors. And the governors used their administrative state, the public health uh, administrators, to exercise this. And Trump kept the money flowing. That's all you need to know. Connect the dots. Uh, this grandmother didn't submit the proper banking form, and now the IRS wants $2.1 million from her. See, this is what's going to be done with this army of auditors. This is from Reason Magazine. Uh, the IRS wants to seize more than $2 million from an elderly woman whose family fled Nazi Germany. Uh, the reason is because she failed to report her father's endowment to her. Now she's petitioning the Supreme Court to consider whether this is an unconstitutionally excessive fine. So she made a mistake or whatever, but, uh, or even if she did it um, intentionally, uh, penalties and fines are not the same thing. Uh, the 82-year-old grandmother living in Boston filed a petition with the Supreme Court asking them to determine whether federal civil penalties imposed by the federal government for violating regulations count as fines. Uh, they are not the same things, penalties and fines. The federal government's position is 
The penalties and fines are two different things. Therefore, the IRS can demand millions in such penalties from people without triggering the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment. You see how they play these language games? Oh, well, you've got constitutional, you can't have excessive fines in the Eighth Amendment. Well, this isn't a fine. It's a penalty. Wait a minute. You, you can't take my money or my property without first finding me guilty and giving me due process. No, no, no. This is not a, that would be the case if it were a law. But you see, laws are passed by Congress. This is a rule passed by the bureaucracy. Therefore, this is civil, not criminal. Hence, we call it civil asset forfeiture. Uh, this, this is the way they play games with the language. It's not criminal, it's civil. Because it's not a law, it's a rule. It's not a fine, it's a penalty. If I can manipulate the language, I can do whatever I want. Uh, so anyway, um, her family fled Germany in the 1930s to escape the fascism and anti-Semitism. Her family landed in Argentina where she was born in 1940. She immigrated to the U.S. when she was 22, established a family, became a U.S. citizen in the 1980s. Her father, who had in the meantime become a successful businessman, gifted her several million dollars in a Swiss bank account shortly before dying in 1999. The Federal Bank Secrecy Act, passed in 1970, requires citizens to report various banking records and information to the government. It also requires any citizen with more than $10,000 in foreign bank accounts to fill out a report of foreign bank and financial accounts annually. She had not been filing these, they call them FBARs, until 2010, which is when she says she discovered the requirement. According to the Institute for Justice, she had previously been filing her taxes by hand using forms from the local library. When she knew of the requirement, she disclosed the existence of the account to the IRS and told them she hoped her filings would put her back into compliance. But things did not go well for her. According to the Institute for Justice's filing, the IRS launched an audit and the agency determined that she underpaid her taxes in some years and overpaid in others. She paid $40,000 in penalties for her tax mistakes. Everything was settled and her taxes were up to date. But then the IRS came for her again because of her failure to file FBARs. Under federal law, the maximum penalty for failing to file this record is either $100,000 or half the balance of the reported account, whichever is greater. The IRS declared that her failure to fire the, file the FBAR documentation was reckless and filed for half the money of the account. A civil penalty, see, civil, civil, of more than $2.1 million. So it's a penalty, not a fine. It's civil, not a crime. It almost rhymes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What a bunch of lying thieves our government has become, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter whether her failure to file the form deprived the IRS of taxes. Uh, that it was owed, or whether she was actively trying to deceive the government. All that mattered was that she didn't file a proper record of the bank account that the IRS contends she should have known she needed to file. In other words, it isn't that you know she took the money out secretly and uh, didn't report it as income. I mean, it's just sitting there in the bank. And um, <clears throat> because you didn't file the paperwork, we're going to take half of it. Great. 
Isn't that great? Don't, don't you like those kinds of, uh, <laughs> isn't our government great? I just love the way it's set up. Don't you? I, it's, it's, uh, it's so wonderful. Um, a civil penalty, they say, is immune to scrutiny under the Eighth Amendment. We, we need to have somebody write a law to shut down all this semantic stuff. Yeah, it's the same type of thing. I'm, I'm not surprised at all to see what they do with pronouns and the rest of this stuff because I've been watching this type of garbage, absolute garbage, just prevarications. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, fines, penalties, laws, rules, it doesn't matter. We'll just use semantics in order to get whatever we want. It's, uh, that's what's criminal. That's what's really criminal. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about what is happening in California. California has already gotten to 2030, and I'm going to show you how. We'll be right back. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. And uh, before I leave the IRS and the army of agents, we've talked about this in so many different ways. So many, so many bad things about it. Uh, DeSantis voiced a genius idea for the 87,000 new IRS agents. He said, I thought it was really, really reprehensible. And he said, uh, here's the idea. I think every member of Congress who voted for this needs to be audited every year. Give them a taste of their own medicine. So uh, he comes up with some good ideas. He really does. Um, but uh, again, you know, uh, watch what he does, not what he says. Uh, as with all politicians, um, there's uh, there's been some good things in Florida. There's also been some bad things that have happened under the DeSantis administration. So, uh, but um, I, th- I thought that was a great idea. Audit all of the people in Congress who voted for this on an annual basis, please. Yes. Uh, and I want to say to, um, I want to talk to the people on Rockfin who left some tips and some uh, comments. I just want to say, you know, Rockfin is free uh, Monday through Friday. There's an active community there, uh, people who comment and that type of thing. And, um, and that's a very important thing for us to have 
a platform that's not going to be pulled out from underneath us like uh, Trovo and some other things were. Uh, DLive, uh, we're kind of in an intermediate state with DLive. Uh, DLive allows us to play the show, but they demonetize the show, which uh, more so than the amount of money that we would have gotten off of DLive, it's just kind of a, well, you're on double secret probation and we're just likely to pull the hook on you at any point in time. I mean, if they dislike your content enough that they're not going to allow people to give you a tip even, uh, that tells you that you're skating on thin ice. And so, you know, and same thing with Twitter, you know, Twitter, I'm heavily shadow banned there. So uh, to have uh, live platforms where, you know, people will be able to watch it. And we do have a lot of radio stations that, uh, internet radio stations that pick up the show and carry it, carry it live as well. Uh, so um, I like um, the fact that we have Rockfin. And uh, tomorrow is when we have uh, the premium show for people who actually uh, join Rockfin. And if you join, you can watch all the premium content. And every channel there has at least one premium show a week. And you can watch all of it. If you join through us, then uh, that helps us more than if you join through somebody else. But if you're on Rockfin, you've already joined through somebody else. And, you know, um, it still works uh, somehow. Um, I don't know exactly what the formulas are. But, I mean, if you join with somebody else and, and that person gets a bonus and then when you watch something on somebody else's plan, then that helps to uh, take some of the revenue there. But anyway, um, there is a, a premium show uh, on uh, Sundays at uh, 7 o'clock. I'm sorry, Saturdays. Yeah, I said Sunday. Uh, Saturday at 7 o'clock Eastern time and um, goes for two hours. And uh, tomorrow, Guard Goldsmith is going to do that for me. And I really do appreciate that, Guard. Guard has done it. Uh, he's done it uh, two times while we were moving. And I really do appreciate that. So he's going to give me a day off and he's going to be doing the Rockfin show tomorrow. And he was on yesterday with Tony. So I really appreciate that. Guard is a wealth of information. I think you'll really enjoy the show. Uh, and so to the other people who have left uh, some comments here, um, thank you uh, and, and tips. Uh, Michael Graves, thank you very much for the comment. Uh, Gerald Smith, a tip, thank you. And a comment, he says, uh, this death cult's ungodly lust to kill all life through everything from vaccines to environmental destruction and electric battery construction and the rest of the stuff, which will kill both humans and wildlife shows that this is primarily a spiritual battle, especially when you talk to people and they can't come out of the trance that they're in. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, you know, when we look at conspiracies, you can see a pattern to things and you can see that they're moving in the same trajectory generation after generation. Some people will explain it as uh, families of elites uh, I think that there's something, I, I think, you know, that it does work through families, no doubt about it, but I think there's something far more powerful and consistent in it. Uh, I believe that, uh, there is a personification of evil, Satan, that is working through this stuff. And, um, so, you know, it is, uh, his plan, but God's got his own plan. <laughs> that's the one that's going to count in the end. Uh, Ard Bo, thank you very much for the tip. Uh, he says, uh, you're worth millions more than this and college tuitions. Well, thank you. That's really kind of you. And David Weatherby, appreciate that. Thank you very much. And um, uh, so let's talk a little bit about and a tip uh, from uh, Harps that I see uh, Travis is putting on the screen here. But uh says it's, it's Sunday for me. Uh, 
at 9 a.m., David. Yeah, because he's in Australia. <laughs> so I guess I got, I was thinking Australian time, right? No, I was just not thinking at all. It is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Guard is going to be doing it tomorrow. I know that if you uh, uh, check it out, that you will be rewarded because I, I always enjoy what Guard has to say. Also, just a heads up for John mm -hmm. on Rockfin. I believe we're going to be doing a rebroadcast on Monday. I don't believe we'll be live. Yes, yes, that's right. We will be on Monday. Uh, it'll be a rebroadcast of one of our best of shows on Monday. So I said uh, California is uh, closing in on 2030. Let me tell you how. In 2024, L.A. will vote on forcing hotels to house the homeless. <laughs> As, a, as a Mike Shedlock <clears throat> points out, he says, how could this even be legal? But, you know, of course, governments don't really care about legality nowadays, right? You got, according to their estimates, 60,000 homeless, 20,000 hotel vacancies. So it's not going to quite work, but uh, <laughs> that's what the activists are saying. So I said, well, you know, we could, we could help a third of the people that are out there roaming the streets homeless. Uh, <laughs> on uh, July 21st, L.A. City Attorney Michael Fewer reported that union activists from Unite Here, Local 11, had collected enough signatures to demand the city take some action on homelessness. The L.A. City Council rejected direct action on August the 5th by an 11 to 1 margin with one economically illiterate woke council member voting in favor. I mean, even the city council in L.A. looks at this and says, this is crazy, almost unanimously. But now they're going to give it to the voters. March the 5th, 2024. Hmm. And so um, what this is, the, these, this is the proposed ordinance, uh, some bullet points from it. Uh, each hotel <clears throat> shall communicate to the department or its designees in a form that the department prescribes by 2 p.m. each day the number of available rooms at the hotel for that night. Well, you understand that there is a bit of a problem here, right? Uh, first of all, uh, they're going to make them give up the rooms before they've even had a chance to rent them for the most part. You can't get into a hotel before 2 p.m. And unless you've reserved something in advance, if you just walk in, well, I'm sorry, uh, we can't rent your room. We had to give it to the homeless. You know, um, uh, the department shall develop a program for paying a fair market rate or such other rate as the department may negotiate with a hotel for a vacant room on behalf of unhoused individuals or families. So they will uh, negotiate what they think is fair. Uh, do you think they're going to come up with something <laughs> that is based on market prices? No, I don't think so. Uh, number three, it shall be unlawful to refuse to provide lodging to any individual or family seeking accommodations on the program. And if you do so, number four, civil penalties. See, there's that word again, civil. That means that there's no due process, there's no presumption of innocence, and there's no uh, protection from excessive fines because they call it civil and they call it a penalty. You see the semantics here? Civil penalty of $500 each day for each individual or family unlawfully denied lodging. In addition to accepting homeless, the ordinance blames hotels for causing homelessness and mandates replacement housing. So the city of L.A. has, uh, been, has seen a massive increase in new hotel development, they said. 
in recent years. At the same time as the number of people experiencing homelessness has skyrocketed and the city's affordable housing crisis has grown. So you see, it's all the hotel's fault. That's why people are homeless. It isn't the high cost of living that's been brought on by excessive um, government expenditure. No, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just that. Uh, who, who knew that that was going to be the case? Um, should vacant hotels in L.A. house the homeless? Well, that's the wrong question. Even the title is wrong. He said CNN left out the word forced or forcing, right? They say, should vacant hotels in L.A. house the homeless? Uh, they don't say, should hotels be forced? Uh, and so he says, Here, here's some questions, three questions. Would you want your 12-year-old daughter riding an elevator with a smelly, emotionally deranged drug addict? Uh, if you were a hotel owner, would you be fearful of losing business due to hordes of smelly, emotionally deranged drug addicts running about? If you were a hotel owner, would you be fearful of property destruction by somebody who is mentally unstable? And then he said, and here's the final question. How can this possibly be legal? Well, again, uh, they don't care. They really don't care whether it's legal or not. They're going to do whatever they want. And, you know, we have an emergency. Uh, President Trump, we've got this emergency declaration. It was the basis for forgiving student tuition loans, right? And so I'm sure that they can work some way in there that uh, Gavin Newsom and these uh, other people can uh, build on that Trump martial law to make this the case. That's why they don't care about legality anymore, because we have suspended it with a pretended national emergency executive order. So California wants everybody to buy an electric car, but they don't have a grid that can support it. That's Reason Magazine. Well, here's how you correct Reason. You know, we corrected uh, CNN's headline by saying they left out the term forcing, right? And California doesn't just want everybody to buy an electric car. If they wanted everybody to buy an electric car, you know, they could uh, do ads about it. They could offer you rewards. They could offer you uh, lotteries, just like they did with a vaccine under Trump, right? But that's the carrots. But no, they're going to demand it. Demand. California doesn't want everybody. California demands everybody buy an electric car. Even Reason can't get that right. Uh, even when they have an energy grid that can't support it. And I think the energy grid is going to be less able to support it <clears throat> by 2035 than it is now because um, they keep taking things off of the grid. They keep shutting down inputs into the grid. I've said this for the longest time. I just didn't think it would happen this soon. I've always said that the plan is to prohibit everything except for the battery electric cars. And then they'll say, but, but, but we don't have enough power generation. And um, so uh, we're going to have to uh, tell you you can't charge your car. Or if it is charged, we're going to suck some juice out of it. How about that? A and you can't drive it. And if you do drive it, we're going to start charging you more taxes because, you know, somehow we got to get power. We just don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, so they put out the message, and it's for this whole weekend, for the Labor Day weekend, uh, from 4 to 9 p.m. Uh, they want people to reduce their electricity consumption, avoid charging electric vehicles while the flex alert is in effect. And so this is happening even as they're going to ban 
everything but electric vehicles by 2035. They do have an exception for hybrid vehicles. That's going to disappear, and they're going to move the 2035 to 2030 or earlier. I'm guaranteeing you that. I've seen this already being done in Europe. You know, okay, we'll leave the hybrid. No, we're not even going to have hybrid cars. And yeah, everybody, they keep chopping them off five, ten years at a time. Uh, So that's just their opening bid. Uh, You know, let's see what people do when we tell them that they're not going to be able to buy anything other than a battery electric car um, and a hybrid uh, by 2035. Okay, they took it. They took it. They're not going to, they're not in revolt. So let's cut another five years off of it and we'll cut the hybrid cars out. That's the way these people think. It's disruption. They do it from the inside and they do it iteratively, right? I mean, how many times do I, I don't you know, play that again. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sure you are, but you know, this is the way they operate. They're going to dramatically increase the strain on California's power grid uh, by putting the electric vehicles on there. But you see, when you look at the headlines, the headlines are all about, it's not what they did to damage the power grid by shutting down uh, power generation stations that were working perfectly fine and then putting in renewables that don't work perfectly fine. And, you know, if you have hot weather, guess what? Um, Solar panels aren't as effective. They're not as efficient. And uh, once you get, I think the, uh, what did I say the other day? Was it 77 degrees Fahrenheit is like the optimal uh, temperature for the solar panels. You get really hot, they start to lose efficiency as well. Uh, Sometimes the wind doesn't blow and the rest of this stuff. And they don't have any, they haven't even really uh, focused on the storage issue at all for the grid. Uh, So just days after phasing out new cars, California says, avoid charging EVs. Uh, That's the headline from Zero Hedge. A level one emergency. (laughs) Californians and all their self-righteous virtue, however, decided to charge their EVs anyway, pushing demand above capacity. And then Gavin Newsom came out and says, it's pretty clear that Mother Nature has outrun us. Mother Nature doesn't like us, you see. The same thing that Jennifer Lawrence said, really believed it. I mean, she really believes this stuff. She's you know this pagan occult stuff. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky and you know this this film she did, and it's like, oh, there's a, you mean there's a hurricane? Well, that means that Mother Nature is angry. Nancy Pelosi has said the same thing. Nancy Pelosi and Newsom, you know, uh, related. Uh, anyway, noted the, deep thinkers, all of them. Oh yeah, yeah, they believe in the Gaia theory. Yeah, they're pagans. Uh, the reality is that we're living in an age of extremes, extreme heat, extreme drought. And here's another one, extreme dictators who have extreme orders and who want to have extreme rationing of everything, whether you're talking about food or fuel uh, and no solutions are allowed. You can't have solutions, not going to have anybody out there, no engineers or inventors to second guess the politicians. They're going to tell you what the solution is going to be. It's going to be one solution theirs. And uh, even if that solution isn't a solution, you're going to pretend that it does. You're going to pretend the emperor has clothes because the emperor's issuing orders and rations and dictates. So um, how exactly is the progressive state of California, which is hell-bent on ridding fossil fuel generation from the grid and replacing it with unreliable solar and wind, how are they going to support all the new EVs after lawmakers passed a new measure last week? Uh, Well, it says... uh, 
Reason Magazine. Actually, this is uh, Zero Hedge. Yeah, Zero Hedge article. Uh, they say nuclear is the only answer to decarbonizing a power grid with sustainable power generation. Here's the fundamental flaw. You don't buy into their phony climate MacGuffin. There's nothing wrong with CO2. It's great. Plants need it. We breathe it. Don't say we got to decarbonize. Well, the only thing we can do, carbon is so deadly. Let's use plutonium. How about that? <laughs> now we're going to deradiate everything. Come on. You know, it's got its own issues. And a big issue, as I've always said about nuclear, is the decommissioning. You know, after you run these things for a couple of decades, uh, you would, they would decommission the nuclear power plants because the nuclear power plants themselves would get so radioactive. And the nuclear power plants are where they're storing the spent nuclear fuel, which is what happened at Fukushima. You know, the, the uh, tsunami overflowed the, the waste uh, areas there. And so uh, you eventually, after storing the fuel, you have to decommission and pull the storage, the plant away, and it becomes nuclear waste itself. So what's the solution to it? Well, so far, the solution has been to extend, arbitrarily extend, the useful life of these plants that they said was going to be 25 years or whatever. We'll just give you another 25 years. How about that? We don't care. This is politicians. They don't care what the laws of nature are. They've got their own laws. Um, I think they should just pass a law saying global warming has stopped and then be done with it. Because if they don't have to worry about radiation, they can just extend this stuff. Uh, then you don't have to worry about global warming. Just pass a law. And, and the universe and Mother Nature will obey your laws, evidently. So, um, but, you know, Zero Hedge makes a mistake of buying into this idea that we need to decarbonize the power grid. We don't need to decarbonize the power grid. Uh, we don't need to get drawn into this thing of debating how many angels fit on the head of a pen. This is patently false from the beginning. And if you buy into this CO2 decarbonization stuff, they're going to wind up feeding you bugs. It only gets worse. Only gets worse. Don't buy into that false paradigm. Uh, the highest estimates... However, for these, um, the power, so, so where are they on the grid, right? And, and this is far from the issue of do you have enough charging stations everywhere? And how long does it take to charge a battery? All of these other practical aspects, uh, these are, you know, and again, they're all things that could be fixed with engineering. It, the problem is that we don't have, they won't give us a time to fix things, right? You, you can't, you've got to transition right now. It's an emergency. We've got to do this at warp speed, right? We don't have time to test the vaccines. We don't have time to um, build an infrastructure to support this. We don't have time to increase the infrastructure. We don't have time to increase the, um, uh, you know, the power generation or the uh, number of charging stations. Just do it now. We're just going to prohibit this other stuff, and you just do this now. And they're doing that on purpose. They're not that stupid. Come on. So what is it going to require? Well, they said the uh, highest estimates assume 3.9 million of these uh, EVs on the road in California by 2030. The increase in electricity demand would thus be significant, jumping from less than 1,000 gigawatt hours in 2017 to 16,000 by 2030. That's um, a 16-fold increase. 
and yet they're busy shutting things down. They're shutting just like they did in Texas. And then when they shut it down and say, well, we're going to shut down the coal-fired plants and the oil-fired plants and the rest of the stuff, and they've got plenty of oil, plenty of coal. Now you can't use that. Uh, you're going to use windmills. And we're going to invest billions of dollars in Texas, which they did, in infrastructure to get, you know, to build infrastructure out to those windmills so we can transmit the power they generate back. After they built, spent billions of dollars doing that, uh, they went cheap on the uh, windmills and they didn't have uh, windmills that could uh, uh, defrost themselves. So they froze up and then the grid started to collapse. And that was in uh, January 2021 when we were doing the show by candlelight and cell phone. I mean, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, that's, um, uh, that, that's where that gets you. And so now the same type of thing is kind of happening in the summer in California. And um, they're still missing the point, though, you see. This isn't even, they said, uh, the government, this is back to reason, the government shouldn't be forcing people to purchase or abstain from purchasing certain type of vehicles in the first place. Exactly right. But beyond that, signaling to the public that the electricity grid is being overtaxed during the summer does not instill residents with the confidence that California is prepared for the transition that it is trying to mandate. Uh, and this is how reason is still missing the point. They won't talk about it being a Great Reset conspiracy. They don't want this to work, you see. Uh, it's surprising to me that this is happening uh, so quickly that they are, you know, at the same time, within a, within a week of mandating the transition to electric vehicles, they tell you you can't charge it. That's surprising to me. But I knew this is where this was happening all along. You've heard me say that. Uh, so, again, the shortage through Labor Day, and they're blaming the weather. Uh, in San Diego, the official account says, an impactful, long-duration heat wave is expected from the beaches to the desert through Labor Day. Blah, blah, blah. Going to blame the weather. No, it's not the weather. It's whether or not you're going to have a choice. You see, if you would not push this at us with mandates and do it at warp speed, uh, then people would react to real situations. And you could have different approaches to solve this technologically, and the market would react to it. So you would have a technological approach to solve this. You tell the engineers, hey, it's about emissions. Well, you got some engineers out there at Toyota and other places that, okay, well, we got a way we can do an electric zero emission car. Uh, we can do a hydrogen car. Oh, we don't like that. No, no, it's got to be the other one. It's got to be the other way. Only one way, just like it is with the vaccine. And uh, so they're not going to allow innovation or testing. They're not going to allow any time for us to adapt to this. There's no room for any market forces to be involved in this. No, we're going to have dictates from on high. Uh, so um, California heat wave update as record temperatures cause blackouts, says Newsweek. Again, it's not the temperatures causing the blackouts. It's the government taking, shutting down power generation. We've never had situations like this uh, before they started shutting power plants down. And it's not just the cars. They're saying, uh, you got to keep your thermostat, your air conditioning thermostat, no lower than 78. 78. Meanwhile, Biden is saying the gas price crisis should accelerate a transition to clean energy. Oh, really? Well, the problem is, is that um, electricity 
is not the has to come from somewhere, Biden. I understand you didn't do too well in school, but you know it is. <laughs> you have to make the electricity with something, right? You have to make it with uh, solar power or wind. But what do you do when the sun's not shining, the wind's not blowing? How do you do that? Well, you got to burn something, and the burning stuff because of you, Biden. Uh, you've made all the stuff that we burn more expensive, and you're shutting down our sources to it. And so that's going to affect the price of electricity as well. You want to call it clean energy because you're, you don't see how it's being generated. Uh, but um, it affects the price of everything. Here's an example out of the UK. Listen to this headline. Electric car journeys are going to cost more than diesel by this January. Let me repeat that. It's going to be more expensive to have an electric car than a diesel car by January. And they have a lot of diesel cars still in the UK. They hate them. They charge people in a lot of these uh, jurisdictions. They charge you to park your diesel, not even adding penalties, uh, you know, to the fuel costs and everything. They charge you to just leave it parked and not on. I mean, you know, you, I'm talking about in a parking space. I'm not talking about sitting there with it idling. So how does this work out? How can this be? How can this clean energy that we're told is cheap, it's free, just plug it into the wall, and it's free energy, right? No, it's actually going to cost more to do that uh, than it will to have a diesel car by January. And this is for real. They show their numbers here. Here's what's happening. Um, and we're talking about natural gas uh, when they... When they talk about it in the UK, they say uh, petrol if they uh, mean uh, gasoline. Uh, but uh, the price of gas, uh, they've, they've got a new price cap that is going, they're going to raise, they've got a price cap on these things. So it's price controls, right? Because they've been going up so much. So right now they have a price cap that is effective until 30th of uh, September of uh, 7.37 pence per kilowatt hours. Let's just forget about the measurement here, but it's 7.37. It's going to go up to 14.7 October the 1st. It's going to double from 7.4 to 14.8, exactly double. And um, then you've got the electricity. The electricity price cap right now is 28.3. It's going to go up to 51.9. It's going to go up by 82% just by fiat. Again, these are price caps, price controls, and they're going to raise the price control the end of this month, end of September. They're going to double it for gas. They're going to go up by 82%. That's 100% increase. They're going to go up by 82% for electricity. And now they looked at this and they said, okay, we've, we've now confirmed these projections of it going up by 80% or so. Uh, we have a prediction that it's going to go up an additional 52% in January. Well, that's not that radical an increase, considering that we just had 80% on one form of energy and 100% on the other one. So they predicted that it's going to go up by 52%. Uh, I don't know what their predictions are based on, but it seems in line with it. And they're predicting an additional 23%. Uh, this is an institute, Cornwall Institute. I'm sorry, Cornwall Insight. Cornwall Insight is looking at this. So they're saying 
Uh, by January, they're going to raise the price cap by another 52%. And by April, they'll raise it by 23%. Those are less than we've been seeing. Now, how does that work out? Well, they say from October the 1st, you're going to have your cost for an electric vehicle. They say, uh, let's take an electric vehicle that achieves four miles per kilowatt hour. Okay, so if it takes four miles per kilowatt hour, then you can measure the cost per mile in electricity versus the cost per mile uh, for a car with diesel, okay? And so what they're saying here is that uh, let's take an EV that gets four miles per kilowatt hour. How do these price increases impact the cost per mile driven? Well, uh, from October, uh, it will go from uh, 12.97, this is pence per mile, uh, it'll go from 12.97 to 14.47. So the EV is still, I'm sorry, compared EV compared to diesel. So the EV is, is 12.97 and the diesel is 14.5. So it's just under the cost of the diesel. But then in January, and it's almost a parity there. Notice that you got 13 versus 14 and a half as your cost, pence per mile. Uh, but then you're going to have, if you compare it to um, the price uh, January the 1st, you're going to have uh, 19.7 as your cost for the EV and your cost for the diesel, 17.4. And then it gets worse. Uh, and by April, uh, you're going to have uh, 21.7 for the uh, diesel uh, but you're going to have 24.2 uh, for the um, uh, for the uh, EV, and um, so they're uh, looking at the uh, cost uh, miles per gallon uh, as you look at this, and um, you know it's going to be, and the 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 three uh, I'm sorry when I was comparing it that was uh, different mileages for the the diesel, so the uh, 14.7 is 60 miles per gallon. Uh, 50 miles per gallon and 40 miles per gallon is a 21.7. But even at the lower mileage, you're going to pay more for electricity uh, and charging your car than you would for a diesel that gets 40 miles per gallon. And you're going to pay significantly more if you have something that gets 50 or 60 miles per gallon, uh, because there you're looking at 14 point, uh, 14 and a half. And uh, you're looking at, um, uh, for the electric, you're looking at 24 and a quarter. That's a significant difference if you have a high mileage diesel. This is one of the reasons why they have, uh, they, they shut down Volkswagen. I remember talking about this over and over again with Eric Peters years ago is when that happened. And they said, well, you know, Volkswagen falsely advertised uh, their diesel mileage. Uh, they cheated on the measurements for the, uh, the uh, EPA measurements. And so we're going to fine them $4 billion. Well, you need to understand that car manufacturers, you, you get cars with automatic transmission. Uh, we have one. That they, it has a weak spot in its acceleration because they adjusted the shifting points on the automatic transmission to score well on the uh, EPA mileage tests. And so, you know, we have an automatic car that I manually shift because of that one spot going from second to third. And uh, so is that cheating? 
When you do that, when you adjust the transmission shifting points, isn't that cheating or something? Well, you know, it was a, it was a non-crime. It was a non-issue. And the response to it, even if it had been deliberate, was unbelievable. $4 billion. It was orders of magnitude more, even adjusted for inflation, what they charged Ford over the exploding Pintos because they decided that they would save a little bit of money on something that was going to protect the gas tank in a rear-end collision. They said, no, nah, it'd be cheaper if we just pay for the lawsuits when it happens. And you look at the Takata airbags, and uh, you know, it's been more than a dozen people who've been killed with those things exploding in humid uh, environments. Uh, the degradation caused them to explode and kill people. So uh, you look at those types of things where people actually died, and that was nothing compared to what they did to Volkswagen. They had to do that to Volkswagen because the diesel was, they were finding ways to make diesel clean. It was incredibly uh, efficient. Uh, Volkswagen had a 100 mile per gallon diesel in the works that they're going to roll out. So they had to stop that. And diesel uh, completely disappeared after they got the $4 billion fine. It was about intimidating them and threatening them. We're going to put you out of business if you make diesel because we don't want that. Even with a 40-mile-per-gallon diesel, it's going to be cheaper by these uh, rates. And again, they're estimating the rates uh, by January and April, but those are less of an increase than they've already done. But even a 40-mile-per-gallon comes in much better. But if you get something to 60, uh, it's 14.5 cents or pence per mile versus 24 and a quarter for the electric because the electric prices are going up. What Biden doesn't want you to understand, maybe he doesn't understand it, is that um, when you raise the cost of fuel, it raises the cost of electricity as well. So only 28% of people in a poll say that they think electric vehicles are practical. And again, it doesn't even have anything to do with um, charging stations or charging speed. It's whether or not they're going to have the grid available for you to charge your car. Uh, That's the issue. Bosch, the German uh, automotive company, is investing $200 million to make hydrogen fuel cells for these class eight trucks. These are the big 18-wheeler semi-trucks. And um, so again, it'll be interesting to see if they allow this uh, because uh, this is, you know, make a hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, You say this is about emissions. Okay, well, we got a different technology you want to do. Problem is that the hydrogen fuel cells don't allow them to exercise central control as a grid does. I think that's why they're pushing everybody for the battery EVs. Um, so, um, again, will they have uh, time to uh, fix this? Will they give them time to do it? You know, Toyota has done this. GM, Honda uh, are also looking at this as well as Bosch investing two hundred million in it. So the problem is the warp speed panic, and the dictates from these people. Will they allow something like that to happen? And even in Virginia now, after the governor, Youngkin, said, uh, we had uh, Governor Newsom, who tied us in with the California uh, air uh, carb, it's called. I forget what they are. Is uh, Resources, Resources Board. California Air Resources Board, CARB. So the Democrat Newsom, tied Virginia's laws to California's dictates. 
And now the Republican attorney general says, well, we're stuck. We have to do what California says. So we're now going to, the people of Virginia are now going to be ruled by the whims of Governor Newsom or the uh, California uh, bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic, um, uh, board there. Uh, So again, World Economic Forum is really excited about what California has done calling it a climate role model for the rest of the world, applauding the, quote, great strides in California towards decarbonizing energy. And see, this is why I say uh, to Zero Hedge, don't use that term. Don't let them set the paradigm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And as we go out, you know, just remember, as uh, California decides whether or not They're going to allow homeless people to uh, take over the hotels and require the hotels to uh, let them stay there for free, presumably. Uh, You know, it's um, we used to call these people sometimes hobos. Trailer for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. Ain't got no cigarettes, ah, but two hours of pushing broom buys a eight by twelve four bit room. I'm a man of means, by no means, king of the road. Yeah, the king of the road, uh, Gavin, Gavin. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, he's the king, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> Whatever the king says, you got to do it. You know, whether you're talking about the road or the hotels. And you don't have to, you know, push push a broom and make 50 cents for your room. Uh, the government will pay for it. Put it on Newsom's tab. Yeah, that's uh, that's California for you right there. Before we leave uh, power generation, I just wanted to mention a story I saw last night. Uh, it's about a Rivian R1T. It's apparently an electric truck. I don't mm-hmm. know who makes it, but a doctor in Austin, Texas, used it to power a patient's vasectomy after a power outage. <laughs> and it's just, I got to say, this sounds like the worst plot for a Transformers movie. <laughs> there you go. Well, they had power cuts, but that didn't stop him from cutting somebody else's power, right? <laughs> Rivian, Rivian is a car company on its own. Ah, not uh, owned by anyone. Well, yeah, they're an independent car company, and they've got big contracts with um, other people. And uh, even some of the uh, car manufacturers are using them as a subcontractor. So it's, uh, yeah, Rivian is, is one of the big darlings of this uh, this whole thing. What a nightmare. Man <laughs> ends line as government can't provide steady source of electricity. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, you got to, there's some things that are so important, you got to do them. Uh, and that's a vasectomy. It couldn't wait. Again, it's a warp speed vasectomy right there. <laughs> Can't let this get past. And I got a tip, a very generous tip. Thank you. Tommy Hobo. Uh, did you see this coming, Tommy? Did you know we're going to be talking about King of the Road? Uh, thank you very much for that. He said, uh, did you comment on all the religious language Biden used last night? Holy, sacred, sacrament, etc. Yeah, they want us to worship the saint. They actually, they absolutely do. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a second. Civil War state. And uh, it it truly is, uh, you know, these people see themselves as god I've said it many times. The three attributes of God, omniscient, knowing everything about you, uh, omnipresent in every part of your life, and uh, omnipotent, all-powerful, just 
do whatever they want. There's absolutely no restrictions on it anywhere. Let's talk a little bit about civil war and uh, not uh, to start out with uh, what uh, Biden said last night, but with the uh, statements over the last couple of days warming up for last night. And uh, the idea that uh, he has been attacking as he builds himself up in this uh, new religion of the state to worship the state, uh, he's been tearing down everything else, pro-life, pro-family conservatives, labeled as domestic terrorists. This is uh, what the White House has been doing, the, the uh, headline from LifeSite News. The White House's increasingly heated rhetoric about MAGA Republicans should not be interpreted as just a political campaign slogan against a fringe group of voters or perhaps just Trump supporters who committed actual violence on January the 6th. Uh, ahead of a speech today by President Biden, uh, the White, this is yesterday, White House Secretary, Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre, referred to MAGA Republicans as extremist threat to our democracy, though she tried to make it sound like it was just an extreme part of the GOP. The president, she said, thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. The president has been clear as he can be on that particular piece when he talks about democracy, when we talk about freedom. Uh, this is what she had to say. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Well, he's been making extreme threats. He's been making extreme threats. You know, I saw this a couple of days ago when he was talking about the F-15s. I'll get to that in a minute. I thought it was a re, uh, an old clip, but it's a repeat of what he was saying when he was campaigning, you know, threatening to use the military against Americans. And so um, as one person commented on that, uh, said, uh, not five minutes later, she says without a hint of irony, violence or threats of violence have absolutely no place in our society. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're sitting on. We need to denounce that, except that's not what they're doing. Uh, they're making threats. Uh, and don't forget that while she lectures us about threats to democracy, she's claimed without evidence that the 2016 presidential and the 2018 Georgia governor's race were stolen. And she has said that on Twitter. Nobody wants to ask her about that. Biden and the Democrats began using the term MAGA Republicans derisively this spring after polling from a liberal consultant, Anita Dunn, found that MAGA, as an adjective, swayed voters away from Republicans even more than Trump. So instead of calling them Trump supporters, they call everybody MAGA. So if you use that, that's the term. You know, and again, it's always the terms, right? It's always the language that they choose. So uh, you're not going to say, according to the AP style rules, you will not say pro-life. You will say anti-abortion rights. And uh, they found that it's even better for them if they refer to people as MAGA rather than Trump supporters. Biden initially tried ultra-MAGA <laughs> until Republicans, including Trump, seized on the term same way that conservatives turned a basket of deplorables into an honorific title. Well, I think that uh, that's true. And, and we should do that. Uh, we should uh, not surrender to their terminology. We should uh, adopt it 
in a mocking way. And I think that if it had been Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden who had called us all non-essential in 2020 as he locked us down, I think you would have heard people say, no, we are essential. Uh, Lock her up. But they just kept quiet, you know, because it was Trump. Anyway, uh, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, among other things, would repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, So, um, again, terminology, respect for marriage instead of defense. These are totally different things, Uh, 180 degrees apart from each other. They sound like they're the same thing, though, don't they? Respect for marriage and defense for marriage. No, the new Respect for Marriage gets rid of the Defense of Marriage Act that was signed by Bill Clinton, of all people. Uh, Did he defend his marriage? (laughs) Vigorously, when she threw all kinds of plates and things (laughs) at him, he defended his marriage, I guess. Uh, (laughs) With the radical left continuing its attempts to redefine words, people, and events to better suit their agenda and to advance their political narratives, it should come as no surprise that their latest target happens to be natural marriage. Marriage, says LifeSite News, is not a political tool for the left to manipulate and to destroy. It is the key building block of our society and the basis, primary basis for the safe and responsible upbringing of our children. Uh, and again, if we don't surrender them to the state, you, know, you can have marriage, you can have families, but if you surrender your kids to the state schools, they're done. They're done. Uh, They know that. Uh, The legislation that is in question about uh, marriage, formerly called H.R. 8404, sponsored by Jerry Nadler, would codify same-sex marriage into federal law. Why would they need to do that? I mean, weren't we told that Supreme Court decisions are the law of the land and they never, of course, change? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've pointed that out many times. They say, yeah, you take a look at uh, what happened with the Supreme Court and Andrew Jackson, or take a look at what happened with the Dred Scott decision, or take a look at what happened in the early 20th century, where you had a Supreme Court decide that um, there is no free speech in a movie. The guy had made a movie, Spirit of 76, but Woodrow Wilson wanted us to get involved in World War I on the side of the British. And in that movie, the British were the bad guys. Remember that? Remember that revolution in America? The British were the bad guys? Well, he didn't want that, so he censored it. And the guy said no, so they gave him a $10,000 fine. And then we're talking about, you know, before or right about the time they created the Federal Reserve, you know. So uh, we're talking about uh, something be, you know, in the millions today in terms of uh, the fine. And then um, uh, 10 years in jail. And he appealed it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you don't have free speech in a movie, and that stayed there until the 1950s. You know, over and over again, we have these things uh, being changed. Now, the Democrats who have insisted that Roe v. Wade and all these other Supreme Court decisions are irrevocable, absolute nonsense, and now we've seen it with Roe v. Wade, which was really you know the, uh, the, the linchpin of all that. So it's gotten them scared. So now all the things that they won in the Supreme Court, they're concerned are possibly going to be changed, so they want to try to codify this in the law, which tells you that the Supreme Court decisions are not the law of the land. They never were the law of the land. And so the Obergefell decision, uh, which established same-sex mirage, is um, uh, you know just that. It is a mirage. <laughs> it's not the law of the land. 
Uh, it would also fully repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, this uh, bill put in by Jerry Nadler, signed by Clinton in 1996, formally defined marriage as a union between one man and one woman under federal law. And uh, as LifeSite News says, time is running out with a 50-50 Senate. The left needs only 10 Republican members to bow to pressure. Pressure from the mainstream media, big tech, Hollywood, and the university system. Uh, so what do we do? Well, you know, we organize and we talk about it. Or we could look at this and say, and here's what I think. The fight for marriage is not going to be won in the district of criminals. It is not going to be won by appealing to the authority of the Supreme Court. It's going to be won by appealing to the supreme authority of God, and it will be something that we will exercise as our religious beliefs. It should always have been defined as a religious. People's view of marriage is fundamentally religious, and it is fundamentally an expression of our freedom of religion. And so, if somebody wants to have a civil marriage and if government wants to recognize a civil marriage, there's nothing that we can do about that. It's not any of our business, frankly. But if they tell us that our religious definition of marriage will not be allowed, we must not say it. We must not act upon it. Uh, it must not be incorporated into our institutions, whether we're talking about a private school or something else. If they say any of that stuff, uh, well, then our answer needs to be no, you have no say here. This is religiously defined. And I think in order to not live by their lies, we do not follow their terminology. Don't call it marriage. Call it civil marriage, if you will. Uh, you could call your marriage uh, definition by your religion. You could call that real marriage, or you could just call it marriage. But you could call theirs civil marriage. And by putting that prefix there, civil you are implying that this is a government definition that has nothing to do with what the real definition of marriage is or the, mar or the definition of marriage that you um, understand. This is the way I see that we um, do not live by their lies. Uh, you could call it same-sex mirage if you want. <laughs> but, we're, we're, we're not gonna, but just using the term civil marriage, and if they want to say it's anything other than civil marriage, we say, well, no, according to my religion, it's not. It's just a civil definition of marriage, which is not my definition of marriage. My definition of marriage is the one that I believe God has defined. I think that's the way that we do this, to distinguish ourselves from this and to opt out of this, to not embrace their terminology, to not live by their lies. Just call it civil marriage, regardless of what they do. We should have this fight. Uh, but, um, again, I think the real issue is that the government should not be defining marriage. And it was, I've mentioned this before, you know, the government gradually got into this because of record keeping. As, uh, society got more mobile, you would have situations because, uh, you know, it was, the records were locally kept. You could have somebody have a wife in one town and another wife in another town and family and another one in another town and family, and nobody would know about it until the person died, and then we started trying to establish their state. It became a problem legally because they didn't know, you know wh which family it is. So they said, all right, we're going to um, keep these records locally. And then after a while, they started uh, taking control of it. Uh, but it is 
it was and is a religious definition. So they can have their own civil definition if they want, but uh, if they try to dictate our language and if they try to dictate our behavior and our beliefs, that's a violation of the First Amendment. Uh, Kathy Hochul, we're talking about the Civil War, tells Republicans to leave the state. Uh, she's not happy that record numbers of people are seceding from, <laughs> from uh, New York. She wants people to leave more quickly so that she can make sure that she gets elected as governor. Here she is telling people to go to Florida, <laughs> not the hot place. Uh, not quite as hot as the place that she typically tells Republicans to go to. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. You're not New Yorkers. <laughs> Tell that to Gerald Salenti. It's too bad he's not going to be on today. I'd love to play that and let him go on a rant. Well, he calls her Huckleberry. Uh, yeah, I think Gerald is a New Yorker. I think he's always thought of himself as a New Yorker. I think he's, yeah, he he is. Um, he really wants to to get away, but he just can't quite bring himself from leaving his roots. But he's seriously thinking about it. She might actually be pushing him over the edge for his own good, for your own good, Gerald. If uh, if you do. <laughs> Uh, in 2014, you had Andrew Cuomo essentially say the same thing. He said opponents of gay marriage, opponents of abortion, and supporters of gun rights, quote, have no place in the state of New York because that's not who New Yorkers are. Oh, okay. Uh, Hochul has also called uh, pro-lifers Neanderthals while she signed a package of extreme pro-abortion laws. Uh, she just, however... Uh, made an interesting statement about school in New York. Listen to this. And the decisions were made to have all the kids go home and learn remotely. Wow. Wow. What a mistake that was. Oh, yeah. What a mistake that was. Uh, who made that mistake? Who made that mistake? Was it health bureaucrats? Was it some imperial doctors who told us that there was no debating about any of this? Uh, the science is settled? Was it politicians uh, acting as little petty dictators? Who, who made that mistake? Yeah, we know it was a big mistake. And we know these people are finally uh, starting to uh, admit it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, a bit too little and too late, isn't it? Everybody's trying to distance themselves. Now, even the Democrats are trying to distance themselves from these policies. They were put out uh, by the establishment and, and funded by Trump. All the way through. Uh, Ann Coulter is uh, talking about my New York nightmare. My York, New York nightmare. She said um, uh, she loves New York and wanted to go back there. Um, again, I, I've been there. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, it's just too many laws and too many people and too many rules there for New York. It's just. But anyway, she said for nearly two years, every morning I'd wake up thinking, I've got to get back to New York. Well, she says I'm back. And this isn't what I meant at all. I wanted to be in the city that never sleeps, where I could walk around carefree, even at night, take the subway, live within a few blocks of every possible convenience. But instead, this happened. Two years after the shutdowns began, restaurants closed, then open with 
social distancing, masking, and a 10 p.m. curfew, then closed again except outside in the middle of winter, then open with masking and a vaccine card. COVID's finally gone. Hooray! She said it was gone in Florida two years ago. But the New York that I've come back to is Death Wish, New York. Um, thank you, Democrats. In 2019, for the first time since World War II, except for one year, 1964, Democrats won total control of the state government. And the number one item on their to-do list was to pass a no-jail law, requiring the immediate release of suspects arrested for basically anything short of intentional murder. The no-jail law went into effect in January of 2020. For the first six months, the no-jail law worked great, of course. It's freezing from January through March, and then the entire city was shut down for COVID. Apparently, street crime disappears when there's nobody on the street. But then in May 25th, a fentanyl addict was killed by police in Minneapolis, unleashing a bacchanal of violence in Democrat-controlled towns across the land. She said, despite the city being virtually crime-free for the first half of 2020, by the end of the year, murders were up by 44%, shootings were up by 97%, car thefts up by 67%, burglaries up by 42%. Here are some of the wonderful ways that my life has been changed by the Democrats' decision to release criminals and promise not to lock them up for any new crimes. The subway, heavily subsidized by taxes, is now a no-go zone for taxpayers. Lots of people still take it, but only because they have to, such as to get to their jobs. Uh, she says um, she doesn't have to take it, but she says uh, she can't take it now in the way that she used to elect to. She said, now I have to take a cab both ways if I want to meet somebody, meet some friends, uh, adding an hour and another $40 to any casual dinner. So I don't have as many dinners with people who don't live in my neighborhood anymore, even in the safest areas of the city, the Upper East Side, all residential and bristling with restaurants and doormen. I can't walk alone after dark. On a lonely night, spring night this year, I walked a friend to his club, planning to continue a few more blocks up Park Avenue to get home. New York is a walking city, and it was a nice night. Then I saw a nut in the distance, and I recall that at dinner, a crazy homeless man had burst into our restaurant, sat at our table, and made a total menace of himself, terrifying the restaurant staff and boring me. Uh, so she said, I took the cab the final five blocks home. We've all gone back to David Dinkins era rules. Girls get walked home after night, stick to the streets lined with doormen and restaurants, no subway after 8 p.m., or she says, in my case, ever, and no real jewelry. I might get knifed for my watch, but haha, the joke's on my mugger when he finds out that it's fake. Oh, but here's something new. Almost everything in the drugstore is in a locked case. So that's fun and a real time saver. So as all that crime is happening, Hulkleberry has come out against concealed carry, saying that good guys with guns do not stop armed bad guys. Yeah, um, don't ever let the facts get in your way. Uh, you can just say whatever you want, and nobody will actually uh, call you on it, right? Uh, by the way, let me say before I continue with this, uh, thank you for the tip, uh, Stephen Patterson. Thank you very much. That's very generous. Sergey, thank you as well. 
Uh, I always love when Tony guest hosts for you. Speaking of Gerald Slinty, what are your thoughts on Andrew Napolitano? I heard Billy Ray Valentine say he takes everything that Judge Andrew says with a grain of salt. Well, I haven't listened to him lately. Uh, I know that he's got an op-ed piece that, uh, that Drudge was pushing uh, about Trump. And, um, you know, it, uh, I haven't really looked at it because, frankly, I think we spent too much time on Trump. Um, and I think we need to be more concerned about ourselves because Trump doesn't have our back. <laughs> Trump is not concerned about us. Uh, so if he's not concerned about us and if he's not going to do anything to protect us, then I think uh, uh, he needs to be a secondary consideration. Uh, but, um, you know, when uh, you look at Judge Napolitano, I've always liked in the past uh, the types of things that he did. I remember he used to do uh, essays when he was still at Fox News. And, um, and he would talk about things uh, such as uh, all the different cases where the FBI set people up and things like that. So I always liked his analysis uh, in the past, but I haven't listened to him lately. Um, again, I just haven't had the time. The only thing that I've seen of his is um, uh, this statement about Trump. And, uh, you know, he thinks that an indictment, bottom line, he thinks an indictment is imminent for a variety of reasons. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit when we get to the Trump wars. Um, but, um, you know, Judge Napolitano really has a, a, a very libertarian perspective on it, so I'm not sure what, the, uh, what Billy Ray Valentine's criticisms of him were. Um, but again, I, you know, I'm uh, not going to pick one way or the other because I'm not really sure what Judge Andrew has said, and I'm not sure what Billy Ray Valentine had an issue with, uh, with those things. So I'd have to have a little bit more information to have an opinion. Uh, the whole concept that a good guy with a gun will stop a bad guy with a gun said Hochul doesn't hold up. The data bears this out. So that theory is over. Well, we've had a lot of high profile cases. Breitbart goes into them August 9th this year. Wasn't that long ago. West Palm beach, 22 year old man retrieved a gun from his car, allegedly threatened to shoot the crowd up. A concealed carrier pulled his own and shot the would be attacker dead before any innocent people were harmed. Of course, we all know about the Indiana, Greenwood Park Mall, uh, where you had um, Eli uh, stop the guy that was shooting and had killed some people, but he stopped him in his tracks from a long distance using a pistol when the other guy had the almighty AR-15 that they're so obsessed about. Uh, I've given my own personal experience. I wouldn't be here today um, if it wasn't for my grandfather having a concealed uh, gun that he carried on him. By the way, without a permit in those days, uh, no permission uh, needed and none, <laughs> none asked for, uh, but, um, uh, and, and no shots were fired. No shots were fired. How many times does a, uh, somebody with a gun just having it stop a crime like that? That's what I've talked about so many times. Anyway, the, uh, she doesn't like it. And so the new gun law that they have put up along with setting up all these imaginary sensitive areas. Subways are sensitive areas. Well, they are now. Uh, you don't want to ride them because they're filled with crime and there's no way to protect yourself there either. Uh, subways, schools, private businesses, Times Squares, all these are sensitive areas. And um, creates even more of them. Churches, theaters, amusement parks, blah, blah, blah. And then they are going to, if you want to get um, a um, concealed carry permit, which 
the uh, Supreme Court said they must issue, not may issue, but they must issue it. They said, okay, all right, we'll do that, but uh, we're going to change our standards so it now becomes onerous and subjective again. So the new New York gun law applicants will have to provide social media accounts. That's right. It goes into effect, actually went into effect yesterday. And um, uh, to require applicants to carry concealed carry permits, you have to provide a list of social media accounts for the past three years. And they're going to review your social media comments for the past three years. State regulators will be able to browse the applicant's social media post to decide if the person has the character to carry a weapon. Uh, the New York Sheriff's Association is not happy with this. They call the requirement burdensome. You know, they're going to have to go through three years of social media stuff for each person who wants a, a permit. Uh, yeah, they're not happy about that. And, um, of course, all this is happening as uh, Biden is renewing his calls to unleash the military on Americans. Remember when he did this uh, as a campaign? Well, he's doing it again this last week. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe, if you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use. That's you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need an F-15. You need an F-15 if you want to fight the government. How'd that work out for them uh, in Afghanistan? As a matter of fact, I love this meme that somebody and put for up those there. Oh, brave... That's the wrong one. Let's uh, do the same. Here we go. The man who accidentally left 300,000 guns for the Taliban gives lectures on gun control. Yeah, the only issue with that meme is he may not have accidentally left them. Uh, but yeah, he doesn't have too, too good of uh, weapon control, uh, not even on the big military weapons. You know? And so when I saw him making that statement, and I realized that it wasn't a re when I first saw it for the day, first day or so, I thought, why is somebody pulling back up that garbage that he was saying during the campaign? Uh, well, I said, what do you call it when uh, Biden threatens to violate the Constitution uh, by taking away a uh, right to keep and bear arms? What do you call it when Biden threatens to use the military on anybody who has a problem with his dictatorship and his violation of the Constitution? Uh, is Biden guilty of resurrection? Is he guilty of treason? Is he guilty of rebellion? Uh, I guess by saying something like that on social media, I guess I'm never going to be able to get a gun in New York now. <laughs> so you need an F-15. You need to get something a little bit more than a gun, said Biden. Well, you know, that's basically all the Taliban had. <laughs> it's called asymmetric war, Biden. Uh, and uh, so I, I just don't know who the extremist is. It sounds to me like he's the extremist threatening Americans. Oh, you think you're going to have a constitution here? Well, I'm going to take the constitution. And if you have a problem with that, I'm going to use the military against you as well. How about that? How about that? This chicken hawk, this chicken hawk, he's got a safer America plan. And that was where he was giving that speech. He's rolling out this safer America plan. And, um, you know, he wants to give, he said, more money to the police but he also wants to ban assault weapons. And, of course, you know, I guess 
more money to the police so they can confiscate the assault weapons and you know do what he wants them to do, take orders from him. Uh, so he wants to ban assault weapons. Uh, he wants to um, extend background checks. Uh, I don't know what else they're going to do with it. Maybe they'll start looking at our social media. High-capacity magazines would also be banned. And he would also ban the manufacturing and selling or possession of ghost guns. Uh, by the way, he did have a piece of, uh, or an order or something about ghost guns that went through. So that you can't ship, there's three or four different components of frame and this and that. You know, you can't ship all those all at once. Oh, okay, well, we'll ship them separately. How about that? <laughs> Which I imagine, though, you know, that's so easily uh, avoided, right? Somebody goes to your site and they order three or four different components of a gun and you can't ship those. Well, you just ship them separately. Oh, well, if you did that, then uh, we're going to treat that the same way as people who uh, put in deposits or, or take out money out of the bank in order to avoid detection. We call that structuring, right? So I imagine they would just say, well, that's just structuring of this uh, if you're going to just simply ship them separately. So then I guess you can have uh, people go to different manufacturers and uh, buy these different components, one from column A, one from column B, another one from column C, company C, right? Uh, in which case, if they found out about that, I guess they could get you for structuring your purchases. But of course, all this presumes that they have a completely omniscient world where they know everything about you where you go, who you buy from. Uh, by the way, you know, they'll have that pretty soon if they don't already. I mean, they probably already have it. They're just not mining the data on it uh, to that extent. Uh, so that's the way they're going to probably wind up doing that. A lot of people said, well, his restrictions on ghost guns lasted for about a minute after they went into effect. But I think that's what they're looking for. It just gives them another excuse to have to look at everything that you say or do. Full-time surveillance is necessary for a successful police state. The two of them go hand in hand. They are now requiring kids who want a hall pass. Well, your hall pass is now going to be a digital smart pass, and it's going to track you everywhere that you go. This is just to get kids used to the surveillance, just like you get kids used to lockdown, right? Uh, they did that for more than a decade before they did it to everybody. Start conditioning the kids in school. Start conditioning them to live in a police state where they have to go through metal detectors and uh, random inspections of their property, their lockers, and things like that on a regular basis. So now the next thing is just give them a smart hall pass. So um, he went on to say that these uh, brave right-wing Americans are shooting law enforcement. Yeah, that's what he actually told them. Um uh, Biden claims that a bullet out of an AR-15 is five times faster than the bullet out of any other gun. Well, first of all, that's not true. And this article from Breitbart that is um, actually from AWR Hawkins says, well, um, here is a field and stream tested the, uh, the velocity of um, uh, feet per second of uh, a lot of uh, top rounds. And um, the top five rounds uh, are much faster than the rounds that people use for an AR-15. Uh, the two AR-15 rounds move at approximately 2,700 to 3,100 feet per second. 
But the top five rounds went from 4,300 feet per second to 4,600 feet per second. Hmm. And then he also claimed that the AR-15 just rips the body apart. You know, it's kind of interesting. You go back and you look at the history of firearms, and I guess, you know, would they be happy if we had muzzle loaders or something like that, Um, like they had during the Civil War? You know, those muzzle-loading, single-shot muskets and stuff, they killed a lot of people. (laughs) More people than than we've lost in any other war. More people than pretty much all the wars that we've been in combined. Uh, because we were killing people on both sides. But, you know, during that Civil War, you had muzzle loaders. Have you ever seen the Civil War bullets? I mean, they're gigantic. Yeah, like a thimble, practically. 50 caliber. Um, and they had a pretty slow muzzle velocity. A modern rifle is about three times what the muzzle velocity was of those things, but they had a big bullet. And so all that stuff factors in, you know, really from that standpoint, the muzzle velocity really more of a range issue than it was of killing power or maiming power. I mean, you shoot a large projectile like that at somebody. It was uh, uh, lethal and maiming. Uh, But he says now the AR-15 just rips the body apart. Yeah, okay. Uh, You know, we had, uh, as I said before, McChrystal was trying to make that a point to sell gun control. Uh, General McChrystal who was uh, one of these you know, parade of uh, generals in Afghanistan that lost the war. Uh, that was that, uh, I can't remember what the name of that movie was. Maybe you remember, Travis. It was um, the one that um, was based on... War Machine. War Machine. Thank you very much. And, uh, and it was based on the reporter who was uh, subsequently blown up. Uh, I don't think that he crashed his car. And Michael Hastings. Uh, Michael Hastings in, in L.A. And uh, like I said, when I first saw that, I said that was, a, that was an assassination. Uh, and then it came out a couple of weeks later that he was doing another story. And uh, he was, you know, uh, about the FBI and about the military. He, he was embedded uh, with McChrystal, that same guy. And he wrote some very damaging stuff about McChrystal. He did a profile of him for, I think it was a Rolling Stone that he was writing for at the time. And, um, so he, um, he wrote a lot of stuff about McChrystal. McChrystal was very, uh, embarrassed by that. He had death threats made against him by the people who were around McChrystal because, you know, you have this, this general as a politician, he's got a lot of staff around him. It's just like any other politician and, um, their careers rise and fall with his. And, uh, but then he had some direct threats and he put out some messages saying, I got to you know, disappear for a while. And then uh, he has this accident where his car, uh, the engine is ejected and travels down the road in the path that he was going. Whereas he goes over to the right and he hits a tree, uh, the front of the car without an engine, you know, cause, uh, you're not going to hit it. Uh, if you're going really, they're saying, well, he's going really fast and he lost it. He hit the tree and it causes car to explode and fire. And it ejected somehow, ejected the, when he hit the tree, the engine was ejected at a right angle to his momentum. It's like physics doesn't allow that. (laughs) That engine was ejected down the road at, in the direction that he was going when it exploded. And then he went off the road 
and he ran into the tree in the front, and there wasn't even a lot of damage to the car, but it burned. And the gas tank is in the back, by the way. But he had been looking under his car and checking it and all that kind of stuff days before. Anyway, so McChrystal was selling this idea that's all about the velocity. And we got to stop AR-15s because they have really fast. But again, that's not true. As uh, Field and Stream points out, uh, the AR-15 rounds between 2,700 and 3,100 feet per second. The other one's the top five going between uh, 4,300 and uh, 4,600 feet per second. Well, I'm sorry, the lowest one's there, and they're not in order here. 3,400. So 3,400 feet per second up to 4,600 feet per second. Well, um, what'll tear you up? The other thing he said, well, they they point out, you know, it's a small bullet, uh, 22 caliber, typically goes right through. Um, Biden, when he said um, a nine millimeter bullet will just blow the lungs right out of the body. And so uh, uh, Breitbart, uh, Hawkins said, we spoke to U.S. Marshal, Fugitive Recovery Task Force member, when Biden made the 9 millimeter claim a few months ago, and he laughed out loud. He said, that's not even in the realm of possibility. And so they asked him, he said, do you use a 9 millimeter round? And he says, yes, and it's a hollow point, but that simply creates a better wound channel. It doesn't blow lungs or other organs out. Yeah, the hollow point is far more damaging than something that's just going to go straight through. In many cases, it was designed to do that, right? Designed to, because it's a hollow point, designed to um, flatten out and and do more damage in that regard, right? Kind of, and if it hits a hits a bone and ricochets, um, with it being a, a flattening out to something that's bigger, it does even more damage. Something that I was told when I took my concealed carry course was that hollow points have more stopping power, but FMJs are more lethal because the FMJ will go through and through. So it produces two... Full metal bu- jacket. Yeah. It produces two bullet wounds that are going to bleed out. So he's not ah, going see. to die immediately, but he's more likely to die in the time right after he stabs you and kills you. Well, the, the hollow point is an older design. They used to call them dum-dums because they were designed by a British armory... Uh, called, uh, I think it called Dum Dum, <laughs> probably in India or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, so. I guess the Full Metal Jacket was uh, designed to be more lethal that way. Uh, but still, you know, when you talk about blowing organs out, neither one of them do that. Uh, <laughs> he says, "Yeah, we use a hollow point uh, because it makes a better wound channel, but it doesn't blow lungs and organs out." Uh, we told the Fugitive Recovery Task Force member that Biden also categorized 9mm under, quote, higher caliber weapons, unquote, a weapon. Um, and he laughed again, and he said, 9mm is the smallest round that we use. Yeah, go up to 45s or whatever. Um, but anyway, you know, this is, this is the guy out there who is threatening to use F-15s against us making all these ridiculous statements about firearms. He was a guy who was selling smart guns when he was vice president. Remember that? I did a special on that as well at the time when he was pushing it. And um, the guy's a chicken hawk. He's a chicken hawk, just like Trump. You know, both Trump, and and this came out in um, the election in 2020, both Biden and Trump were the age that they should have been in the Vietnam War. But they both got exemptions. Trump had five deferments. I'm sorry, four deferments. And Biden had five. And they both got a medical exemption, even though they both played sports. 
but Biden even more so. His Wikipedia biography says uh, at Archmere Academy, and he's in high school, he played baseball and was a standout halfback and a wide receiver on the high school football team. Though a poor student, <laughs> he was class president in his junior and senior years. And then he graduates and he goes to the University of Delaware, and he played freshman football there. Also an unexceptional, unexceptional uh, student, but he did graduate with a degree. Then he went on to law school at Syracuse, ranked 76th out of a class of 85. So there's, still he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> After failing a course due to an acknowledged mistake when he plagiarized a law review article for the paper he wrote the first year at law school, and that was one of the things that kicked him out of uh, his early running for president uh, was a plagiarism of uh, continuing plagiarism at that point in time. But he got five student deferments. And, uh, you know, that's the way a lot of people avoided getting drafted, uh, going to uh, Vietnam was to get into college. But, um, you know, when he finally graduated from law school, it was like, well, now what do I do? You know, he doesn't have the the grades or the mental acumen to go into uh, uh, become a law professor or something like that, right? So can't really continue with school with my grades. And so it's like, come on, man, I thought the war would be over by now. <laughs> so then at that point, he gets a medical exemption. And you won't believe what his medical exemption was. Well, no, it wasn't senility. That was <laughs> come later, right? Uh, senility and incontinence would... would uh, <laughs> Would not happen until later, but uh, his his medical exemption was based on asthma as a teenager, quote unquote, asthma as a teenager. That's what they put down there. Not to say that he had asthma then, but that he had it when he was a teenager. You know, when he was playing baseball, and when he was a halfback and a wide receiver on the high school football team, that was when he had asthma. And you know, when he was uh, on the freshman football team. That's when he had asthma, but not now. He doesn't have it now, but he used to have it, so he shouldn't have to go to Vietnam. Yeah, and similar thing with um, Trump. You know, Trump had four instead of five student deferments, and then he had uh, bone spurs. He said from you know when he was even though he played sports as well. Uh, now he's got bone spurs, so he can't go to Vietnam. Yeah, just uh, can't do it. How likely is a civil war in America? Ask uh, one, ask Jim Dennison. Uh, well, you know, he looks at the polls. 66% believe the political divisions have gotten worse since the beginning of 2021. 62% expect the political divisions to get even worse in the future. 66% say political violence has increased since the start of 2021. 60% expect such violence to increase in the next few years. But here's a question they didn't ask. Has a civil war already started. You see, I think it has. I, I think when you um, unleash this uh, toxic depopulation thing, I think uh, you've already declared war against us. I think you've declared war against us when you do economic sanctions. When you say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to shut your business down. I'm sorry, you can't have a job because you didn't get my vaccine. All these things that were done by Trump and by Biden. And of course, the division that is continually happening. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, as he points out, 
He says it's different than it was in 1861. Yes, yes, it's history is not going to exactly repeat itself, but it will rhyme. Uh, he said uh, in 1861, you had the North and South were contiguous geographical entities, each dominated by a single party. I don't think they were as uh, homogenous as uh, he wants to believe, but they were certainly the regions were more homogenous than they are today. Today, the difference, as he points out, is he says, take Texas, for instance. Austin is clearly blue, while West Texas is clearly red, quote-unquote. I don't like those designations, but you understand what they mean. Uh, it's a division within each state as well, a division between the big cities and the rural areas or the counties or whatever. And you can see this in the elections. Uh, the cities are, are out uh, a completely different political philosophy than the, the rest of the areas. This is why I say it's not simple. Uh, it's not simply we've got to get rid of Washington. The problem is that we have to have local government that reflects what we have in our area. That's why I say you've got to focus on the local community, on the county level, because the state politics even is going to be dominated by the left-leaning, socialist, Marxist, big cities. And uh, that is going to be the, the true thing. As he points out finally, though, he says uh, public virtue is the only foundation of a republic. Our nation's founders were convinced that personal, personal virtue is indispensable for political unity. Washington observed human rights can only be assured among a virtuous people. Benjamin Franklin added, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. John Adams said, public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private and public virtue is the only foundation of republics. Uh, so you can't have it, public virtue without private virtue. In other words, it's about the nature and the character of the nation. And that is the collective, you know, you can't have a, some kind of collective character. It's all about the individual character. And so that begins with each and every one of us. You know, we can look at what the, the policies are in a given area, and that is kind of a metric of the collective aspect of it. Uh, but it really is up to us. And I think, you know, when we look at this Sodom and Marxist uh, society that we're in, um, I remember, uh, you, know, you, know, you know the story, how Abraham is bargaining with God. You know, he gets down to, well, if I can just find 10 people. And I think he thought he was covered if um, that was Lot's family. and. Uh, his daughters, their, um, and their, their parents, you know, their, their, uh, the in-laws of them. That would total up to 10 people, uh, but not even that was the case. And so if we are going to uh, look at this, it isn't, is God on our side, but is, the question is, are we on God's side? When we come back, we're going to take a look both at the uh, pharmacia updates and the Trump war. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. 
They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com Well, before we get into the uh, Trump wars, you know, one of the other comments... Uh, that uh, people made about uh, Biden's speech, besides the uh, religious references that were uh, made by the listener, uh, is the fact that he made a highly partisan speech, threatening his political opponents, calling them extremists, calling them dangerous, and at the same time he was flanked by Marines. Now, the way that Breitbart talks about this, they said, well, he promised to never politicize the U.S. military, and yet he did. But I think that was a very deliberate message. All of this talk, all this talk about, uh, well, use F-15s against you and all the rest of this stuff. You're dangerous. You're extremist. Uh, you're going to destroy this nation. Uh, he is building a straw man to attack. I think that's very clear. Uh, so um, he said, there's no place for political violence in America, period, none ever. Okay, well, except if it's uh, his people, they don't even bother to look at it. Let's take a quick look at the uh, Trump wars today, uh, we have, um, in terms of what Biden and his people have been doing with this Mar-a-Lago raid and the rest of this stuff, uh, it was clearly calculated for political effect, just like his speech was last night. A lot of uh, visuals there, you know, just like uh, taking the documents out. Well, these are top secret documents. Look, here they are. Snap, snap, you know, take pictures of them. Uh, but, um, this is all for a political effect. It's all for a narrative, and it seems to be working. So I was saying the other day, it's all become now about Trump, and it's it's not about any issues. It's not even about the candidates in these different congressional races or Senate races or even gubernatorial races. It's really all about Trump. Who did Trump endorse? How is how is the Trump m momentum going? Right? Are his people winning or losing? Everything is now about Trump. And so um, you've got GOP candidates that are in close races are now scrubbing uh, references to Trump and scrubbing references to abortion. How does that reflect on our virtue and character, right? Um, you've got one of these guys I've, I've talked about and laughed about, uh, Bo Hines, uh, who <laughs> said, you know, all this talk about a banana republic in the wake of the raid against uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago. All this talk about Banana Republic, I, you know, that's an insult to all these managers in these stores all over the place. Yes, absolutely not. This guy graduated from Yale, and he has absolutely no idea what people are talking about when they talk about Banana Republic. He thinks it's the stores in the mall. He has a, he has the understanding of uh, geopolitics 
of a mall rat. <laughs> this guy, Bo Hines, I call him the Bonana Republican. Well, the Bonana Republican, Bo Hines, who's running in North Carolina, going to be another Madison Cawthorn, uh, says he's now updated his site. He used to say 100% pro-life, 100% pro-Trump. Well, he got rid of that. He got rid of that. Uh, others have removed uh, any statements that they have supporting the sanctity of life. In Michigan, State Senator Tom Barrett, Republican, uh, who is running against uh, a, a uh, running for Congress, uh, said um, was trying to unseat uh, his Democrat component, um, and uh, he is no longer on his website referring to himself as a consistent pro-life legislator. No longer cons uh, to uh, referencing himself as someone who would protect life from conception. At least nine Republican candidates for Congress have scrubbed or amended references to Trump or to abortion from their online profiles in recent months. And so all I can say is uh, I don't really care if they want to distance themselves from a particular uh, politician, but um, some principles are worth standing for, even if you lose. And I would just say that when you've got a shallow, empty, uh, ambitious uh, candidates like Bo Hines, we're better off without him, frankly. Um, uh, you look at Mehmet Oz that Trump endorsed. He's now looking at a 76% chance of losing, according to Nate Silver's 538. I don't know if that's true or not. Nate Silver is not. They like to, the left loves him. So, oh, he's so accurate. Well, he got everything wrong in 2016 about Trump. But um, he may or may not be right. But boy, he sure, Oz is a horrible, horrible candidate. And, uh, but it's all about his connection with Trump. Win or lose, it's about that. And that's why they did the raid. I want to read a couple of comments here that were left for me. Uh, Jason Barker, uh, David, why do you think the military can't make their numbers? They don't like the shot mandate nor the goals. I think people are starting to get it. I pray so anyway. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Uh, thank you, Jason. And uh, thank you for, Jason's putting together a really cool thing, um, a coin. And I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing that. Um, uh, Sergey, thank you for the tip. He says, uh, 22 long rifle, high velocity ammo is 1,220 feet per second and can zip through a bulletproof vest. My dad, who's a retired police officer, told me, 90% of murder cases he worked on were done by a 22. Oh, there you go. Um, so the, uh, yeah, the bottom line is you don't want to get shot with any of these things. Whether it's a 22 or 380, you don't want to get hit by it. However, you might not want to use it for self-defense. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, it, it's a weapon and, uh, it's a weapon that can be used defensively or offensively. And that's what the left doesn't get. So uh, the Department of Justice, by the way, getting back to Trump, the Department of Justice is likely to wait past midterms to reveal any Trump charges. And Trump is saying that he's going to delay his 2024 decision uh, to see what happens uh, politically and legally. Uh, of course, that's coming from CNN, so we don't know if that's true or not. Uh, they're saying that Trump is considering waiting until after the November midterms to launch a third presidential campaign as he navigates a widening array of legal troubles and mounting concerns and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so again, this is all being done 
by the Department of Justice. It's all being done for political reasons. And, uh, you know, that is reprehensible and we should speak out against it. But uh, the obsession with Trump by the conservative people is what's making this possible, right? It's another one of the problems with centralization of control. You know, when you have uh, institutions that centralize things, and I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, God designed uh, the churches as autonomous, independent communities. That's the way that um, successful uh, uh, organizations that are working underground always would work, right? Because if you got a, a pyramid structure, uh, all you have to do is take it over the top. You know, you got a corrupt guy at the top, or you know, you got corrupt institutions, corrupt seminaries, or something. It corrupts the entire thing. But if you got independent, autonomous entities, okay. It's like having these different cells. One of them can get infiltrated, uh, but you can't get the other ones. And, and that's what we are. We are in a war. We're in a spiritual war. Uh, certainly are in a spiritual war. Uh, whether you agree with the fact that we're in a civil war or not, we are in a spiritual war. So um, when, you, uh, when you look at the best way to uh, conduct any of these things, uh, it means that you don't have some kind of a centralized thing. You don't have one guy, if they take out, you know, we're all focusing on Trump. And if they take out Trump, we're done. And I said this from the very beginning. I said, you know, there's an unhealthy focus uh, on, on Trump from the very beginning. I said, you know, the guy's not that young. And uh, we should be focusing on principles instead of on a man because once he's gone, what do we do, right? You cut off the head, and now you've got this leaderless organization that's floundering around and flopping on the ground because its head's been cut off. Uh, so it should never be about a man. And when you make it about a man, it's very easy for his opponents to take it down. But I don't know if he's going to delay his decision or not. Uh, he is uh, really, really too heavy in this whole thing. Uh, of course, you know, CNN says he is, so I, I guess we can trust CNN. I don't know. It was Alex Jones who said that Trump was going to announce that he was running, uh, I think it was back on Memorial Day or something, uh, a couple of holidays ago. Of course, that didn't happen, but, you know, A.J. had also said Trump was going to pardon Julian Assange midnight before, you know, he left on the 20th. Uh, so that didn't happen either. I don't know. But, you know, hashtag Alex Jones is always right. Uh, January Sixers, this was sent to me uh, by a listener, uh, Veronica. And she said, um, please look at this site and consider sharing this link with your show notes. Uh, wearegoodmen.com. Pull that up, Travis. Wearegoodmen.com so people can see it. Uh, she says, I don't think Trump is helping these people. If he wants to be president again, shouldn't he be working to free these innocent people who were there for him? Exactly. These are people. We are good men. And it has a list there. Scroll down and you'll see it. A DC Gulag Patriots in their own words. So it has audio and video interviews of people who are not getting a speedy trial, uh, people who are getting excessive punishment, even though they haven't even been convicted. They're awaiting trial and they're being punished already. And uh, these people are just being left to twist in the wind as Trump is focused on himself and as the GOP is focused on Trump. And there's something of a civil war within the GOP now about Trump as well. 
so again, um, take a look. We are goodmen.com. We are goodmen.com. Uh, thank you for the tip, Alexander. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, pharmacia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. David Knight Show. Well, I was talking earlier about California. That's become the Great Reset 2030 already in, in many ways. It's like, yeah, you got to have an electric car, uh, but sorry, you can't charge it. We don't have any juice because we shut down the power to the grid. Uh, of course, they want to uh, punish doctors for refusing to comply with the uh, COVID narrative. A bill that would have required all school children to get vaccinated against COVID. Another that would have made all employees in California show proof of vaccination and also legislation that would have required local law enforcement officials to enforce public health orders. Yeah. Well, maybe you could use the IRS to do it too. Yeah. Uh, if, if you don't get vaccinated, if we see you out of your house, maybe we'll just confiscate uh, your bank account too. How about that? Uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing to me to see how authoritarian uh, everything in California is. It is a centrally planned dictatorship. It's Marxist. And it's exactly what the globalists want there. Well, fortunately, that law was defeated. You know, uh, they were able to ram through that same type of stuff, essentially, for the MMR vaccines back in 2019 when this guy said they have to get the shot the yeah, remember that nations are so important he was right there with They're newsom going around now they he was there with newsom and, and less than a year later he's giving newsom tens of billions of dollars bailing him out of a uh, big deficit state deficit in order to make sure that you know people are locked down you got to lock down got to wear the mask got to do what newsom says got to do this and that whatever fauci says you got to do it uh, so less than a year later, he was doing that. Uh, Senator Scott Weiner, the guy who has been pushing this type of stuff, was not happy about it. Uh, as I said, they were able to defeat it. And childrenshealthdefense.org is uh, very optimistic about what can be accomplished now. Uh, Weiner said in a statement that the bill, which would have lowered the age of consent for all vaccines, including the COVID-19 vaccine to 15, was several votes short of 41 with no viable path for these final few votes. Uh, he tweeted out, he said, we're close, but a couple votes short on the teen vaccine bill. The anti-vaxxer harassment, he said, worked this time at the expense of teen health. We lost this round, but we're not going anywhere. That's right, they're not. They're going to keep at it. They're going to keep coming back and coming back they did that for the MMR requirements. 
eventually they found, you know, the, the guy who would, Alex told us it's going to be anti-vaccine Trump. You know, he joined with him to push it. Now the price of Liberty is constant vigilance. And it is, you know, these people are never going to give up. Those who want to take everything from you, take all of your power, take all of your freedom, take all of your money, take all of your health decisions from you. They're never going to give up. And, uh, we lose once we give up, once we start looking at what they're going to do. However, RFK Jr. had this to say, uh, he said, it's been a long, it's long been said that California democratic state legislators are not for sale because pharma owns them all and will not sell them. <laughs> Sorry, they're mine. Now years of grassroots activism have finally fortified enough legislatorial spines in Sacramento that assembly members are supporting children's health rather than pharma profits. RFK Jr. said, we beat big pharma on its home turf. If we can win in California, we can protect kids everywhere. And I think one of the things that has helped to do this is the uh, Trump shot. The lethality of it has been an eye-opening event for everybody. And, you know, you had uh, Offit, who was a big, as a doctor, who was a big vaccine cheerleader. And uh, Paul Offit was saying, I don't like this idea of rushing this vaccine through because this can blow up in our face and it can hurt all of our vaccine programs. And I think they jumped the shark. And I said that even about the fact that everybody knew that Biden was going to mandate it. He was going to use a stick. Trump was going to use the carrot. Trump was going to continue to tell us it's the greatest thing we've ever produced. Mankind has never done anything like what I did with a vaccine, all that kind of stuff, right? He would have incentivized it just as you saw the Republicans doing it. You know, DeWine was the first one to put out a vaccine lottery and so forth. But I said, it's going to, we'll have a better chance of stopping this and resisting it and showing the fraud of all this under Biden than we will under Trump. And I think that the fears of Paul Offit about these guys going all in on this COVID vaccine and exposing all of the vaccine industry for what it is, a fraud. And I think there's been a lot of uh, ground that has been gained by those of us who have seen this thing for decades and, uh, and warn people about it. Uh, the sad thing is that we had people who saw it for decades and decided that they would side with Trump rather than the health of individuals and rather than with informed consent, really. Uh, Steve Kirsch, uh, engineer, entrepreneur, multi-multi-millionaire who believed in all this stuff, took the shot, had his family take the shot, and then he started seeing how people were reacting with this stuff. Wait a minute, you know, you don't, you're not allowing anybody to question this? That's not science. You, know, you, you don't want to have a debate? Skepticism is not allowed? And then he started uh, asking some questions, and people told him to just shut up. And then he started getting concerned. And he's very concerned, not just because it's the death of science, but because he got this in his family. So he's been on this like a hawk. Steve Kirsch interviewed him once and he's on Substack. He says this, he says, vaccines are taking an average of five months to kill people. 
I said in January 2021, we saw the bears come out. Do you remember how this whole thing unfolded? You know, first couple of weeks, people were saying, look at the explosion on the VAERS database, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System that had been around uh, for, you know, 30, 35 years. And, uh, and it was, oh, wait, uh, we've had more people reported with adverse events, including death, uh, than we've had in the, the past five years of all of them combined. You know, right away from the very beginning, you were starting to see this kind of stuff. That was astounding. You mean in just a month or two, you've had more people reporting adverse events to the database than you did for the last uh, five years or whatever? And um, then it just kept growing uh, a couple of weeks later. Now it's more than the last, you know, 12 years or whatever. Now it's more than the last 20 years. And now it's several times what has been reported over the last uh, 35 years. And so I said at the time, you know, when we first started seeing this explosion, right at the beginning of January 2021, when they were rolling these things out big time, because, you know, they had a few people, just a few people in the medical community were getting them in December, but they really started rolling them out big in January. And I said, uh, what is really strange is to see people dying right away or people having these very serious reactions right away. I said, typically... The way they've been able to get away with this is that it takes many, many months. And I talked about pandemics, the previous uh, crime of Fauci and Slowey, partners in crime, Monsef Slowey, the uh, head of Operation Warp Speed, who was head of vaccines for, uh, I think it was GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, but anyway, you know, they put together the, rushed out a vaccine for uh, the swine flu, and that took a year for it to show up and kids who were kind of the canaries in the coal mine, but it was very well documented, but it took a year. And I said, if we're seeing this right away, I said, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg and you're going to see a lot more coming up in a few months. Well, now they've got some data and uh, Steve Kirsch says the CDC has been hiding the social security administration death master file. He said, I got it from a whistleblower. And this shows that deaths are taking five months from the jab to happen. And that's why it's harder for people to see. And yet that's still much faster than we have seen in the past with these vaccines. Uh, we're, we've always assumed, he said, that the vaccine kills you quickly in the first couple of weeks because that's when people notice the association and report it to theirs. This is still true. It does kill some people quickly. And that's how it is also different from these other vaccines for the most part. Uh, however, thanks to an HHS whistleblower, we can now clearly see that most of the deaths from the vaccine are happening at an average of five months from the last dose. That is for the second dose. It may be getting shorter the more shots you get. That's exactly right. Uh, the risk is going, we've had other data go through it and say, you know, it, it doubles for the first one, and then it gets a, uh, the risk of dying and adverse effects quadruples after the second one and eight after the third one and so forth. It's going up by a factor of two each time. Uh, same with Moderna, a different uh, magnifier there, but uh, both of them, it increases significantly with each dose that you get. Uh, but anyway, he says, uh, but this explains why the life insurance companies got off the charts all-cause mortality peaks for people under 60 in the third and fourth quarter last year, rather than right after the shots rolled out. The five-month delay 
is also consistent with death reports where people are developing new aggressive cancers that are killing them over a four to six month period. The five month delay was also confirmed using only European data. That analysis was posted in August 11th, but I learned about it after I wrote this post. So you can hear of a death from stroke, cardiac arrest, heart attack, cancer, and suicide that is happening around five months after vaccination, and it could very well be a vaccine-related death. And so, again, he's pointing out how a whistleblower from the Social Security Administration, their death uh, file, sent this to him. He does his stuff, and then after he does his uh, data analysis of this, looking at the trends, he finds that somebody else has done the same thing out of European data, and they found it was also five months from there. Uh, let me just respond to this. Um, Yuri Jenkins, thank you for the tip. He says, one of my family members uh, said there is a commercial to warn that after COVID-19 infection, there is a higher risk of dementia as early as two years. The real translation is the Trump shot will cause dementia. That's right. Dr. Fleming was explaining the mechanism of how the Trump shot causes dementia and mad cow disease. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. Uh, how did that discredited doctor knew. Well, maybe he is a real doctor. I agree. It's just amazing to me. Uh, these people are now, you have to understand, all these people who have been cheerleaders for it, this is obvious from the very beginning. It was obvious in January. And the Democrats all knew it because they were all complaining when they were not in power. They were complaining about Trump rushing this thing through. They knew that that was a dangerous thing. And then they just flipped because it was... Uh, they were now had the political power, and uh, now they're flipping again. But uh, it's going to be a finger-pointing game. Everybody knows that this is wrong. They're going to try to cover up for each other to some degree, but they're also going to point fingers at each other as well. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's um, everybody's starting to figure out what is going on with this. Anyway, going back to Steve Kirsch's data, he said, I got the chart from a whistleblower who works for HHS. This is data that you're not supposed to see. The mortality increases 60% at peak. He says that's huge. That sort of increase can only be caused by something novel that affects massive numbers of people. There's only one possibility that fits that, and that's the COVID vaccine, the Trump shot. And the peak was right at September the 9th, 2021. And so you can see that there's a couple of different peaks, right? And they are five months after these major um, campaigns. Five months after they put it into a different group, you can see that pattern repeat. And you can see that pattern in the American data, and you can see it in the European data. Okay, so the graph, which is not publicly available, is from the U.S. Social Security Death Master file, compares deaths from 2021 to deaths in 2020. You simply cannot get such a rise in deaths like that unless something very deadly is affecting massive numbers of people. This explains why insurance companies all over the world were seeing massive death spikes in third and fourth quarter 2021. The vaccine was simply taking an average of five months from the most recent injection to kill people. Uh, and um, so, you know, we had uh, One America Health Insurance Company, or America One, I forget what it was. Uh, they were out of Indiana, I remember that. And you had the... Uh, Executive is a pretty large company. The executive saying, you know, this is like a once in every 200 year event or something. It's more than three standard deviations away from the mean, which means 
that is a very, very tiny um, uh, probability that that could even happen. And these guys live by the numbers. You know, that's the way they make their money. You know, they look at the probability of events. And so they knew that that wasn't really possible. But he also knew that he better not criticize the vaccine. And so what he said was, even though these are people who are dying from non-COVID things, it's not, not even flu, nothing, no respiratory stuff. They're dying from all these different other causes. And we got the spike. Why did that happen? Well, he said, I know that it, they're wrong. I know it's got to be COVID. And then he also said, and I know that nobody who is vaccinated is dying from COVID. Therefore, these people all have to be unvaccinated, and we're going to go up on the insurance rates of the vaccinated. See, this is how this works. They will try to charge you and I more. Maybe it's because uh, the other people are going to be dying, which means they won't be paying their insurance rates. Uh, the most obvious conclusion is that the vaccine takes an average of five months to kill people after the second dose. The second peak in December of 2021 result in the insurance companies having spikes in quarter one and quarter two of 2022. And that's what you're seeing in this stuff. Uh, and you see it in both um, um, the uh, American and the European data. And he finishes by saying, you got any other ideas for how this could be there? Anybody got a better explanation for this data? I'd love to hear it, he said. Of course, we're also seeing birth rates plunging in very heavily vaxxed countries. But, you know, Trump, of course, is pro-life. He's pro-life. Because, you know, we know he's pro-life because he spoke at some anti, you know, some pro-life rallies. And so um, he's definitely pro-life. And, and then he put in Supreme Court justices who said, you know, we have a Tenth Amendment. And... Um, uh, that trumps anything that the uh, Supreme Court would say. So because of the Tenth Amendment, um, Roe v. Wade is really not valid because uh, they didn't have uh, the federal government at any level doesn't have the authority to make this decision. But, you know, I said that all along. I said uh, if we had anybody with a backbone at the state local level, they would use the Tenth Amendment to save lives. Instead, they would pass virtue signaling laws that says, you know, well, you know, pass, pass the buck over to the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court ever changes their mind on Roe v. Wade, then we will have our law take effect. Uh, it's how spineless these people are. You know, they're now afraid to say they're pro-life, many of them running. Uh, but, you know, because we didn't want to use the Tenth Amendment, you know, it's okay for the Supreme Court to use the Tenth Amendment, and I'm glad that they did. But that was always the valid argument. That was always the valid argument. And because the pro-life people would not make that, and because the pro-life politicians who said they were pro-life at the state level would not use the 10th Amendment, we had 63 million babies killed. Dr. Paul Alexander says Fauci, Burks, and others must be held accountable for their lies. He says lies, hoax, fraud, the greatest public health disaster ever. These are the terms that best describe the last two and a half years under the Trump and Biden COVID response. We felt hopeless, helpless, and vulnerable. He said there must be an investigation and then jail. And he talks about the frauds. He lists Fauci, Walensky, Francis Collins, Burks, and others made us powerless. Every single aspect of the COVID pandemic from the virus itself the lockdowns, the school closures, the PCR tests, the asymptomatic transmission myth, the attitude towards natural immunity, business closures, shielding, mask mandates, and the ineffective and harmful vaccine. All of it, every single aspect was a lie, a fraud, everything. 
every time you put on a mask, it was a joke and they knew it and they were making asses out of you and your kids and of us all. And I had these conversations with restaurant owners. I'll never forget the time I, I made them bring the owner out because we're trying to go to small restaurants because we figured they'd not tow the company line as much because they'd realize they're going to be out of business. I had the restaurant owner come up there and I said, you know that this is nonsense. I said, nobody is wearing a mask out here. You're going to make me wear a mask to walk five feet to a table and then I can take it off as long as I want. I said, you know, that's nonsense. And he goes, I know, but you have to do it. No, you don't. You don't have to do it. You don't have to follow orders that you know are nonsense. You don't have to follow orders that you know are a lie and that are going to destroy your business. Uh, they knew the PCR test was 95% false positive over a cycle count threshold of 24. Yet we cycled and we detected viral dust and junk and non-infectious, non-culturable pathogens for two years by using a cycle threshold of 40, as the CDC told us to. Now, just to give you an idea, I've mentioned many times, you know, a cycle threshold of 40 is magnifying something by 1.1 trillion times. If you were to use a cycle threshold of 24, because we're talking about, you know, they double it, then they double it again, then they double it again, double it again. So if you do that 24 times, that is 16.7 million, as opposed to 1.1 trillion. A trillion is a million millions, okay? Uh, a billion is a thousand uh, millions, and a trillion is a million millions. And so when you look at that, the difference between a cycle threshold and of uh, 24 and a cycle threshold of 40 means that you're going to, at the cycle threshold of 40, you're going to be magnifying stuff 66,000 times more than something that was already magnified 6 16.7 million times. It's absolute garbage. Dr. Francis Collins, Anthony Fauci, Albert Borla, Stefan Bonsall, Deborah Burks, Alex Azar, drag these six into a courtroom, start proper legal proceedings, proper, with proper oversight, proper examination. You were never insane. It was the lockdown lunatic set of them at the CDC, the NIH, SAGE, FDA, our prime ministers, our presidents, our health agencies, those crazy, inept, crooked, idiotic people. It was those task force advisors yeah, who advised Trump and now Biden. We can't hold Trump and Biden responsible for it, can we? Oh, yeah, you'll hold Biden for it. Uh, responsible for it if you're a Republican, but you won't hold Trump for it, right? And vice versa. If you're a Democrat, you'll hold Trump responsible, but not Biden. They're both responsible. The buck stops with them. The buck started with them. And I said this the other day, and I got this uh, letter uh, from a guy. He said, uh, this is Ben. I won't mention his last name. Uh, I emailed you at InfoWars while you were still there, David. Oh, okay. So he hasn't listened to the program for the last uh, two years or so. But he did evidently find out that I was saying something bad about his idol, Alex. And so he told me, he said, uh, I have a word from the Lord for you. Oh, do you? Do you really? When people start out that way uh, with me, I typically, you've basically just kind of lost me at that point. 
uh, because I do have a word from the Lord. I've got a couple of words from the Lord sitting next to my bedstand. I call it Bible. You are not going to take precedent over that. But he decides that he will. He said, you're pursuing the truth in your own logic too much. He says, uh, many people have died from the vaccines. I suggest that you study the book of Revelation, chapter 19, about this. It is a clean out, it is a clean out of those who cannot take the upgrades to the next level spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah in uh, chapter 12. Um, so I guess we're not ready for the, there's like an upgrade that's coming. And we're not ready for it. And so, you know, if you're not really ready for it, you're not the real caliber of person. Uh, then God's going to just wipe you out here with this, is what he's saying. He said, the energies for the new age um, are all imbued with the powers of a low-level angel, during which time many of the people of the world that used to be here and those who are not advanced enough would manifest hell on earth with such power. God is cleaning out those without clean enough thoughts for them to be manifesting their thoughts with the powers of a low-level angel. Uh, David, it is not a 100% clean process, but God will straighten that out later. Uh, for God had to work it through the free will of the positive military. There is much that's hidden. Yeah, there is much that's hidden. Um, he thinks that I'm pursuing the truth and my own logic too much. Well, I got to say, Ben, you could use a little bit of logic and Bible study yourself, frankly. He says, there's a danger in the spirit that Trump will abandon the people, but that will be otherwise handled. God says it's best for you to stop bashing him and AJ until such time as God might tell you otherwise in prayer, which you need to get accustomed to taking orders from on high anyway. Well, here's, I don't know if that's a word from the Lord, Ben, but here's a word from the Lord. Uh, there's six things that the Lord hates. Yeah, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Wait a minute, is that? Yeah, that kind of applies to our politicians, Trump especially, doesn't it? A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift to run to mischief, at warp speed, for example. A false witness that speaks lies. And someone who sows discord among brethren, maybe a president who sows civil war amongst his own people. I know from not just one passage, but I know from throughout the Bible uh, that God hates dishonest, wicked officials with a passion, corrupt judges, corrupt leaders. Uh, you know, I was told once, uh, uh, it was uh, early days of homeschooling, and we were trying to uh, connect to people, and there was a a Facebook uh, page where there was a lot of homeschoolers there, and um, there was uh, a mother on there whose husband was in seminary, and she felt like that gave her a special authority, a special unction or whatever to tell everybody that abortion was just fine. It was fine. Her reasoning was that Innocent children who are aborted are going to go straight to heaven. So therefore, it's a great thing for them. And I said, okay, so abortion is good for babies. Okay. Well, I guess you should all abort all of your babies then. 
you know, all aborted babies going to go straight to heaven. So let's just get them out of here right now on the fast track. They don't have to uh, go through any of this stuff. Uh, now you, on the other hand, <laughs> you out there who are ripping them apart like a meat grinder, uh, God might have something to say to you about that. Look, uh, all the people who are there, people will go through all kinds of interesting machinations to try to avoid uh, the obvious things that uh, God has said. He's made it very clear what he thinks about murder, about the exploitation of the poor, and uh, uh, we can come up with all kinds of fantasies uh, in terms of our interpretation out of Revelation, and then we can kind of try to dictate it to other people as a word of the Lord. But uh, I don't buy it. Um, I went too long. I want to say uh, thank you to Richard Williams uh, for the tip. He says the uh, Donald death shot is plan B. Plan A is abortion. Yeah. Geesebusters, geesebusters. Thank you very much. Why can't Trump just go away? <laughs> That's why, why I say every morning. And Sergey, thank you very much. My aunt, whom I warned not to get the shot two years ago, finally admitted to me she developed psoriasis from the shot. So did my friend's dad as well. I think the boosters are especially worse for speeding up that process. I agree. I agree. Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com.